Truman, have you ever been punched in the face? I, I have never been punched in the face nor any part of my body, fortunate to say. Have you uh, ever... I had, a, I had a friend in high school who just was like... It was almost a tick with him that he would punch his friends in the shoulder or in the, like the oh, bicep. Oh. I, it was just that, over and over again. Every time you saw him, just right in the arm. And I'm like, pretty soon I started hitting him back as hard as I could because I'm like, fucking stop. Ah, to be male. Mm, isn't it great? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Truman. The, Landon. Are, have you ever been slapped? Yeah. Yeah, I've been slapped. <laughs> that, that was really loaded. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, a, a, a guy, uh, one of my friends slapped me in front of a bunch of my other friends because... Uh, I made a joke about his girlfriend that was basically the exact same joke I had heard him make 12 hours, 15 hours earlier, but I guess in the light of day, that joke Shit. wasn't all right. <laughs> Which was... Man, Will Smith slapped you too? <laughs> yes, but at least when I made the joke about G.I. Jane, it was a little more relevant because it was like we were closer to the release date oh, of that okay. film. <laughs> uh yeah no i was the i i i was the first one i was the test case for that um uh you know oh, so well, le learning experience learning experience. so it was it was a legitimate slap like he he was trying to teach you something he was trying to teach me something uh and and yeah and it happened in front of a group of people much like in in this movie and Ooh. boy you know you know what i think i handled it better than Joe somebody did. <laughs> okay, you didn't set a date and time for you to to revisit and uh, go train in the meantime? I, I didn't do that. Maybe I should have, because then maybe my social status would have climbed so much uh, just, just by virtue of me having promised to do violence upon another man. Um, no, no, nothing like that happened. Have you been, have you been slapped? Uh, I've been punched once. I've been slapped, but not seriously. Mm, not seriously uh, you know, I, slapped only well, silly I mean, like, slaps uh for for movies and stuff you know we got to do mm. multiple takes of someone slapping you um so i've had that uh but i've never had anyone strike me out of anger or mm. to teach me a lesson okay but they have closed closed fists punched you but not not slapped you and that was an elementary school, and we covered that recently. I don't remember if it was oh, right, on a night's right, episode right. or a main one, but my yes. pen pal punched me in the face. Yeah, yes, yeah, the old pen pal punch. Um, <laughs> well, look, I mean, I, I don't know. M Muhammad Ali, I think, said that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and so I guess what that implies is that I still have a plan, whereas you do not. <laughs> Wait, everybody... Ha yes, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know which one of us comes out ahead in that case. Is it better to have a plan or to have no plan? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I can't attribute it to getting punched in the face, but I do feel like I can roll with the flow, roll with the punches, so they say, a little bit I, uh, easy these days. Yeah, yeah, you you learned you learned something actually useful in elementary school, unlike anyone else. <laughs> not, that's actually not true. I learned to read in elementary school. That's actually helped me pretty well. Um... I, I, yeah, actually, I said that, and I don't know how. I don't know where to go from here because I don't know what to to say about 
this film, and I realize that we say uh-huh. that about most of the movies we watch. So. Well, this is this is an interesting one because I feel like <sighs> even among Tim Allen's filmography, it's one that people don't know a lot about, or I feel like it might have had the least amount of eyes on it, short of uh, who is Cletus Tout. Yes, and and based on my research, it doesn't seem like. 9-11 sabotaged Joe Somebody in any way. I think just Joe Somebody sabotaged Joe Somebody. The, the reason that well, no one saw this movie was because everyone was like, I don't have any interest in finding out about Joe Somebody. Well, I don't know if that's exactly true. I don't. It might have not had a direct result the way that Big Trouble did, but I think that this one was like people just weren't quite in the mood to, you know, go back to movies just yet. Like, if yes. you remember... This is 2001 was like a dividing line and there's a kind of weird overlap for the next year of cartoon movies being made. I I like to point to uh, Die Another Day and the first Bourne movie coming out in the same year where one is like, oh, okay, we've entered the new world of realism, quote unquote, versus the like cartoony nature of the 90s that is Die Another Day. And everyone was like done with that shit. So, yeah, this movie, I think, falls in a weird mental chasm of society of going this i know this confectionery thing is not satisfying in any way shape or form i need you know something more real maybe if they're going i i, I mean i see what you mean because this movie is kind of caught between being confectionery but also being whatever the op it's like it's like it's like half some type of candy and half like rutabaga or something like that. You know, it's like, (laughs) there's like high, there's sort of cartoony slapstick hijinks, but then there's also some really big chunks of fiber in there where like a little girl is tearfully asking her deeply depressed father if he doesn't want to see her or if she doesn't want her to see him. And I'm just like, wait, what, what emotions do you want me to wrestle with in the course of watching (laughs) Joe somebody starring Tim Allen? Well, okay. This is interesting because I I actually did watch this one with the commentary with our old buddy, John Pasquin. Okay. Um, Okay. And he did pontificate a little bit on that. uh, And maybe I'll go into that a little bit deeper into the deep dive. Um, Yes. But yeah, it is kind of a, a, and they acknowledge a wrestling between delivering a Tim Allen movie um, and, you know, going a little bit deeper with the the character, you know, depth of emotion. So it it doesn't exactly stick the landing, but it doesn't completely fail in my estimation. Yeah. Okay. This will be an interesting movie to discuss. Then I am. I. Uh, I am. I'm interested to hear why you think it doesn't completely fail, and maybe my maybe my impression of it will change along the way. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Well. Yeah. We'll we'll get into that in our personal reflections. I think. Um. But let, let's talk a little bit uh, about Joe Somebody. That's the movie we are watching. Uh, if you didn't know from the title of this episode, or, um, or the past seven minutes of us talking about Joe Somebody. <laughs> before, uh, before I go into the specs, why don't you give everyone a little idea of what this movie's about? I will. When meek, divorced cubicle jockey Joe Sheffer, played by Home Improvement's Tim Allen, gets punched in a dispute over a parking space by the office bully Mark McKinney, played by Seinfeld's Patrick Warburton, he decides to reclaim his pride by publicly challenging McKinney to a fight. This wins him the respect and admiration of everybody in the office, and he revels in the newfound praise. 
As the day of the fight draws closer, Joe trains with a local karate master, played by Jim Belushi, flirts with a beautiful co-worker, played by Julie Bowen, and tries to do right by his precocious daughter, played by Hayden Panettiere. Joe Somebody. Joe Somebody. Directed, as we mentioned, by... Uh... Not friend of the podcast necessarily, <laughs> a guest of the podcast, a guest of the podcast at one point in time. Yeah, <laughs> John Pasquin, uh, who many listeners will remember, directed the first season and a half of Home Improvement and a few episodes uh, there on out uh, afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the Santa Claus. Also, the Santa Claus uh, and Jungle to Jungle. jungle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we we've been through uh we've been through his filmography uh in the past we've we've we, we've talked the John pa- we've talked the Pasquin talk yeah uh, and we've walked the Pasquin walk yes and we've talked we, to the Pasquin we have talked to the Pasquin uh so where does this fall in his filmography though it's uh 2002 or mm-hmm. 2001, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, 9-11 des- famously occurred in yeah. that year. To, uh, December of 2001. Um, then he goes back to doing some TV, and then his next uh, movie is uh, Miss Congeniality 2 with Sandra Bullock. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, working with big stars. Um, and he's working on big TV series, too. Like, George Lopez was big at the time. Yeah. Uh, there was a short-lived Freddy um from Freddie Prince Jr. fame. Not uh, not the Freddie who you wanted it to be about, I'm sure. <laughs> I wish, I wish. Uh, yeah. Rules of Engagement with, uh, isn't that Patrick Warburton as well? Oh, uh, God, yeah. I think, yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, he had a just, he had a huge moment in the in the early two thousands where yeah. just Patrick Warburton was everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't get away. This is our second Patrick Warburton Tim Mallon movie in a row. I know, I know. It's, a, I mean, it, he's almost as big of a Tim Allen collaborator as uh, as Spencer Breslin is. <laughs> almost, not just, quite. Just though. like a, just like a tall, beefy, deep voiced Spencer Breslin. <laughs> um, okay, but we've talked about him. We're going to talk about the writer, uh, John Scott Shepard. Yep, who wrote some movies and uh, some shows. Okay, I he does not have a Wikipedia page, so I oh. don't have any details on him but this i guess i'll have to open imdb this is his first uh film uh, first writing credit uh mm-hmm. he went on the next year to uh write life or something like it which was an early angelina jolie movie when she was Wait. like a name star she she's the tv news anchor yes. in seattle tony shalhoub is a is a homeless yes. man who tells her she's gonna die yeah okay okay i've actually seen that uh as have i in the theater uh, you just you went to so many completely forgettable mediocre movies and saw them I on went, the big screen. Listen, I went through a breakup in two thousand one, two thousand two, and mm. my salve wasn't alcohol; it was going to the movies. I saw okay. literally every movie that came out those two years. I, I that's look then that that's great. That's great. Everyone, everyone was dealing with their trauma from two thousand one in their own way, and yours happened to be going to wait. Did you see Joe Somebody in theaters? I did. Well, we're getting into personal reflections now. Oh, but, oh um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll get to that in just a second. He's got three upcoming projects, which is uh, interesting. Hmm. Um, One Nation Under Bob. Oh, uh, boy. Fame, Horror, and Jump. Now, who's to say how long these have been in development? I've seen things in development on IMDb for decades, so who knows? It, he has three projects in development hell. Uh, so um, that is John Scott Shepard. Now, I, I just want to point out, 
I can't imagine it's coincidence, but his last name is Shepard. Mm-hmm. There are a number of jokes in the movie about the last name uh, of the main character being confused for Shepard because his actual last name is Sheffer. Mm. Well, a, a lot of a lot of this movie seems to be kind of like a a an unsatisfied guy in an office job fantasizing about how cool it would be if if some stuff happened to him. So I could I could see this being I don't know I I wait is this going to be your breakthrough movie? I'm hoping I'm hoping that this is the one that actually uh, the the one that actually uh, launches my career the way it seemed to for him. John Shepard Joe Sheffer is the the connection there. I don't know. Like I have also, I I also have written scripts about like, hey, what if like in in high school, the first script I wrote was, hey, what if a really nerdy guy had a hot girlfriend? Wouldn't that be a wild concept for a script? Let's <laughs> oh see God, what happens. I've never seen that before. I'm shocked <laughs> that they didn't jump on that. I, you know what? I was, I they they say that Judd Apatow innovated that, but no, no, man, it was all me. <laughs> so yeah, there's not a lot more to say about John Scott Shepard. Uh, I wasn't able to find too much on him outside of that information. Um, the information that he wrote this movie and other yeah. movies. Yeah. So um, let's talk just very quickly about the cast uh, so that we can reference them more easily going through it. Yes. Uh, mainly stars Tim Allen, Julie Bowen as kind of a romantic uh, thread through the film. <sighs> uh, Greg German of Ally McBeal fame is the the kind of prickish boss at yeah. the company. Yeah. Uh, his daughter is played by Hayden Pantieri. Panettiere, Panettiere. I don't want to. I don't want to Italian explain to you. I, that's probably wrong of me, but it's her name at least. She pronounces Panettiere. 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 Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like I'm back in Italy. <laughs> the bully, uh, as you said, is played by Patrick Warburton, um, and as you said, also he goes to get. Uh, why am I recapping this? We already went through this. Uh, yeah, it's even better the second time through. It is okay. So John Belushi, holy cow! I guess yeah. We don't really need to go through where this movie falls in any of their careers, except to say that this is pre-Modern Family for Jim yeah. Owen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One. We have uh, one post Happy Madison pre pre Modern Family. We have one sitcom star kind of on uh, at the apex and starting to go down of their career, and another uh, sitcom star to be on her on her ascent, and one right smack in the middle of it with Greg German on Nellie McBeal. This is very true. This is very true. And Patrick Warburton kind of having his whole career moment before just you know lapsing yeah. back into bit roles and voice well, acting. And if we're being fair, this is pre according to Jim. So mm-hmm. true, true. <laughs> and I think. Uh, it's post the state, but pre party down for Ken Marino, who we didn't really mention. Yeah, and and you know, and think, and Hayden Panettiere had a pretty pretty big uh, early two thousands as well. She's, so she's a child here. Yeah, she is a child. She is a child. Yes, but eventually she's the cheerleader who we must save in order to save the world, or so I am told. <laughs> uh, okay, she. This movie is also about heroes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, much like the, Zoom. The moral of this movie is very ambiguous. Um, let's get into personal reflections. So I'm going to let you go first because you've hinted a little bit at your impression. Have you seen this before? Did you know about this movie before? Bring us into your mindset. Uh, I, I had not seen this movie before. I was aware of this movie mainly because uh, in my spare time, I co-host a podcast about <laughs> home improvement, and you uh-huh. kind of wind up knowing about things Tim Allen has done if you're doing that. Um, before yeah, that, I, though, no no concept of it? 
I mean, I think I had seen, this is, this, it's funny, I had seen the poster around, and looking at it now, it's ridiculous that, that anyone would remember this awful poster. It is a picture of Tim Allen standing in a parking lot in front of a featureless corporate office building wearing a single boxing glove. It's like, what is interesting about this? It Man stands in parking lot. Great. Cool. Um... So I was, I had seen, I had seen this, I was aware of it existing just through having walked through video stores and seen things. I I feel like I've referenced this like three or four episodes in a row now of just walking to video stores and seeing this or that movie uh, title uh, sitting out on the shelf. Because kids, that used to be how it happened. Um, (laughs) So, oh look, in terms of my reflections, uh, this I think is probably one of the plot lightest movies we've done, rivaled I think only by A Dog for Christmas. Um, (laughs) It's, it's, uh, you know, I, to, to return to a term I've borrowed from Mystery Science Theater a lot, this is, this is 15 minutes of, of movie and like 80 minutes of packing peanuts. Um, And I would say that, that also my other big, observation i think probably just relating to the peanuts or the movie overall and we'll go into this more as we deep dive is that i think that this movie operates on porn logic oh okay interesting continue dramatic dramatic pause for effect um (laughs) uh dramatic gopher turning around music (laughs) now you see we're in 2002 here uh yeah exactly exactly lay epic pause for uh for effect um in a porn movie that, at least one that has a plot and isn't just, you know, OnlyFans or something, n- none of the characters in a porn movie that has plot behave even remotely like real people because fucking is the only thing in the universe for them. Like, that's just their whole deal. Like, in in real life, no pizza delivery guy is going to come in and have sex with a girl and her roommate because he's actually, like, he's double parked and he's got 15 pizzas in his car and he has to make rent <laughs> right, right so right. he can't lose this job. But in porn, where fucking is all there is, it makes perfect sense that, that he would do that. Uh-huh. So in Joe Somebody, the concept of these two dudes fighting is kind of like sex in porn because every character is really super invested in these two dudes fighting. <laughs> they are all thinking about it a lot. All of the institutions in the setting of the film completely bend to facilitate this fight, <laughs> which is not what would happen in real life. And we will talk more in the deep dive about all the ways that that this movie seems to operate in a parallel reality. But that's my takeaway. Joe somebody, basically porn. <laughs> I don't disagree with you there, but I I, don't, I still don't have a sense of how you felt about this movie. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Did that weigh on you? Did, was that ir- irritating? Did you not mind it? it? It just made it very difficult for me to connect with this movie okay. in the way that, that perhaps I've connected with pornography in the past because I'm more interested <laughs> in what's happening in that. But like, I, I, I found that not every movie no... can have a physical connection. Uh, sadly, no. Sadly, no. Uh I just, like, this movie was really hard for me to get invested in in any way or get interested in in any way because (laughs) the the stakes of it are remarkably low and I'm, and, and I just don't get, like, and, and the situation that it's putting together and the parable that it's trying to weave has no bearing or basis in like there's nothing you can take from it and apply to everyday life because everything in it is so ridiculous but the ridiculousness (laughs) is not funny or whimsical or 
enjoyable to watch. So it's just like I'm 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 watching a boring morality play about stuff that would never happen. Um, mm hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How how did you feel? How do you reflect on this movie? It's not good. You know, I, I think we that that's you know kind of a given yeah. with uh, with every <laughs> film we've covered here, um, if, except if for next week. Yeah, but, if if he'd been in good movies, we would know about well, them. Like yeah. th- this is a big note of mine, which yeah. is while watching this movie, there are moments that we've talked about wanting out of Tim Allen. Yes, and absolutely. Especially in the first portion of this movie, and I'm like, <laughs> he's not exactly successful at it, but I had a realization that we've never actually, I don't think Tim Allen has ever really been in a film. He's only been in these kind of studio orchestrated movies. Like, mm. we called it confectionery before. But yeah. he's never been in a movie that has, like, real moments and real connections between people. You, you it's know always what? premise. We're, we're not, but we haven't watched Cletus Tout. You seem dead set on avoiding Cletus Tout. Also, Red Belt. <laughs> don't don't test me because I will I will make us watch that. Uh, look, I just I'm just saying you're flouting the tout right now, and uh, I don't know what that's all about. Red Belt might be the one exception, but he's like such a supporting character in it, though. Yeah, which yeah. also a weird connection to this movie because it's about kickboxing. But um, <laughs> true, true. It's uh, yeah, it's about a guy learning. It's about Tim Allen learning to fight. Okay, he got it. He, he had a wheelhouse that he got into. So I, I think I was a little bit kinder to it because it was at least attempting to show us things we've been asking for. And mm-hmm. um, true, I, I you know. This movie takes a very sharp turn into Tim Allen territory. Uh, let me rephrase that. Into the typical character that Tim likes to portray on screen territory. It's so diplomatic. <laughs> uh, about, you know, 23 minutes into the film. But that first 23 minutes showed us a different type of character for Tim Allen. Now, Very true. And, and for that, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I will say, because... Uh, this might feel ham-fisted to try to get in later, but uh, I, as I said, I watched this with the commentary, and John Pasquin said that um, <laughs> the commentary was John Pasquin and one of the producers, and it was just like this gruffled old, like the most stereotypical producer you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to get to some of his comments in a bit, but oh boy, <laughs> John Pasquin was saying uh, early on in the film, these the early scenes where he isn't sure what to do with his body and he's kind of geeky and trying to make a connection with Julie Bowen. Uh, he would come up to John Pasquin after takes or after watching dailies and just go, I, I don't know, is any of this working? I just don't know how to relate to this guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that we didn't see a lot of that other stuff because it might have been out of Tim Allen's comfort zone. Uh, it, you know, it might have just been something he wasn't interested in. Um, I'm not going to say it's not something he wasn't capable of, but uh, we just, yeah, I, I, I'm sad that that part of him, he didn't feel confident enough to develop that side of his acting abilities. I, Yeah, I, I feel that way too, because he's definitely playing against he is playing against type at the beginning of, of the movie, and he is taking a swing, and you almost kind of feel his discomfort with it. Yeah. And I don't know, but I also, like, I, 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 what something I appreciate about Tim Allen is that I think he takes 
acting seriously, and I think he takes himself seriously as an actor and a performer. And yeah, I I, I wish that he had felt more yeah, confidence to explore this. I I, I, I I'm not going to take away that he doesn't take his craft seriously, uh, minus some professionalism, professionalism uh, issues, but which uh, are very there. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it's like, you know, saying I'm really into swimming. I take swimming really, really seriously, but then you never leave a three foot deep pool pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, which, yeah, because, and maybe because as much as you're into swimming, you're also very scared of getting in over your head and don't yeah, want to exactly. be embarrassed by that. Yeah, I, I see that. I see that. So it's it's hard to commend him for his choices when they, it, it he feels more like a business person, like a movie star making choices about what his image is going to be on screen mm. and making kind of softball choices, but then taking them seriously, you know, while he's in them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, that, no, I, this is all speculation, I don't know. Hey, but how else, how else do we fill up the time, you know? Uh, Okay. I I don't want to, and I don't want to step on your personal reflection, but I will just say about where he is at the beginning of the movie and, and the, the way, the, the arc this movie initially takes, um, and how, yeah, the, the first 23 minutes of it, I was sort of thinking like, wait, are we getting something a little darker and deeper here? The... The, the Wikipedia, like, quick one-line synopsis description of this, like, second line of the Wikipedia page says, The film stars Tim Allen as an ordinary man forced into violence by a workplace bully. And if you just, if you only read that and know nothing else about the movie, the first 23 minutes sort of feels like, oh, shit, are we setting up for, like, a taxi driver thing? Are I... We, are, are we getting I... into, is this gonna go, go real dark? And it was briefly exciting. I had images, flashes of like an Alexander Payne style movie yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Like that tone would have been great. And then it just kind of veers into this is what we expect out of Tim Allen uh, type of movie of, you know, the the which they make a point of mentioning on the commentary, all the things that Tim Allen improvises and the producer, the producer, <sighs> this producer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, first of all. He thinks he keeps referring to Joe as a schmuck. Like he does not have any like not even as like a character development thing. He's just like, oh, those to- types of people, fuck them. You know, they don't know anything about being a man. Uh, but he's ta- he's taking the position of the bad guy in the movie. He is. He is. Um, but he was like, this is the reason we we. You know that Tim Allen is a marquee name. I'm not. I'm putting quotes in his mouth, but that that's his tone when he's talking about and and flouting all of the improvised moments of Tim Allen uh, in the commentary. And the improvised moments are Tim waving his hands in front of Jim Belushi's face, or getting hit oh. in the crotch, and just go, "Is that my ball on the ground?" <laughs> like the the producer <laughs> thought those were brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and now we know uh, why Tim Allen had a career. Oh man! Oh, hey, hey guys! A uh, quick peek behind the curtain from Truman, who briefly worked in Hollywood. That is, all producers are like this guy. This guy <laughs> is, has the exact comic sensibility of all producers. Uh, I boy, I bet, I, I bet, uh, writer John Scott Shepard really appreciated the insights and guidance and suggestions of this producer. <laughs> well, okay, so uh, this is the other thing I was going to mention since you brought it up. Um, I would love to read his first draft. This yeah. movie was even filmed to be 
darker and um i don't know that it was r-rated but it was definitely pg-13 mm-hmm. and there was a studio note at one point that said we need this to come in at a pg so oh, they boy. cut down and cut out a lot yeah you can kind of feel that sometimes not as much so as as with christmas with the cranks i feel like so many so many <laughs> tim allen movies we watch have just had major surgery performed on them after the fact <laughs> There, there are hints, and I'm not going to go into it this time. You know, I feel like that we, we've, I've bored people in the past with speculating what the script could have been in yeah. early stages and what it deviated from. But uh, this time, it, at least there's evidence that uh, you know it was something a little bit different and a little bit darker uh, than what it ends up being. Great. Great. Well, we can speculate about that uh, along the way, I guess. Uh, okay. Do you, do you, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but are you ready to, to deep dive into this very well, deep movie? 30 minutes into the podcast? I think I am. <laughs> I mean, we've we've been we've gone longer before. Um, well, so we the, the first the first act or so of this. What, what do you say that first that first beautiful 23 minutes where we thought there was something else going on? Um, we meet Joe Sheffer. He is a ordinary guy who wears glasses and works for a major pharmaceutical company called Stark. Uh, he is a guy who edits promotional videos uh, for the company, which is, I think, eerily close to some work that we've done in the past. Uh, and he has, yeah, he is divorced. We are three for three on movies where Tim Allen is divorced dad. Uh, he has a young daughter who absolutely fair, adores. Mm-hmm. That That's not a Tim Allen thing. That's just a movie thing. They They need to make the main character relatable and, you know, numbers say that you know, the majority of families are divorced families. So I, I think that that's why they tell stories about that. It's definitely that, not just a Tim Allen thing. That, that's not just a Tim Allen thing. I also want to be clear because I have, I have taken shots at this before. There is nothing wrong with being divorced. There is nothing bad. Like, you know, you, the, 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 in no way looking down on people who are divorced. I just also, there is a certain energy that certain divorced dads have that is very on brand for <laughs> Tim Allen. And to see him gravitate yeah. into that yes. particular Roll again and again is the thing that makes me stroke my chin and ponder. Um, <laughs> he has a young daughter who absolutely adores him. His young daughter uh, detests uh, her mother's new boyfriend, who is a hippy dippy actor type. Echoes of uh, uh, Judge Reinhold in the Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> Joe takes his daughter to work for Take Your Daughter to Work Day, but when he arrives in the company parking lot, he finds that uh, Patrick Warburton, a big galoot, has taken his parking space, even though uh, he is technically, even though Patrick Warburton is technically not allowed to park in this uh, parking lot because it's for long-term employees. Uh, when Tim gets out of his car and chal- politely challenges Patrick Warburton about this, Patrick Warburton smacks him down in front of a large crowd of people and his daughter. It is a very traumatic moment for Tim and for his daughter. He uh, leaves the parking lot, cowed, a broken man, takes his daughter to school, and then spends the next several days uh, lying around his apartment in a deep state of depression. Uh, the company sends its kind of human resources person, played by Julie Bowen, to the house to try and pull uh, him out of his funk. Uh, she asks him what he wants to do, and and he debates about this for a while before finally telling her, having a realization, an epiphany, telling her, I know what I want to do. I want to beat the crap out of the guy who punched me, Patrick Warburton. Um, Would you say that Tim gave up the funk? 
I would say I would say that he did give up the funk, which is especially uh, especially ironic when you consider that the music for this movie was written by a man <laughs> named George Clinton. <laughs> I hope I hope to God that the music you pull for this episode of Grunt Work uh, is the that typical like something's happening in corporate America. Uh, <laughs> Again and again, this this music does not tear the roof off the sucker. Let me tell you, it is it is brutal how often we hear these same riffs. Sometimes accompanied by like rock organ, other times accompanied by wind flute. Tr- truly, you know, there are times when I get wistful and nostalgic for the the soundtrack, uh, the score to Tommy Boy. <laughs> which is very similar-ish to that, but I feel like it has so much heart to it. When I heard this, I'm just like, oh, that is a style of music that just is, like, stock. I, I yes. This is something George Clinton probably writ, wrote, uh, you know, long before this movie, and he's like, I'll just keep that in my back pocket in case I ever get hired for a, you know, a... a, a Solo character walking through the city streets of New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I- exactly. This is like the, this is basically the pod people have come down, and this is the pod person copy of the Tommy Boy music that has actual heart and vitality to it. Oh this my is god! Just, yeah, it's <laughs> uh, basically if you. Well, I mean, you've probably heard it at the beginning of the episode, and you'll hear it again at the end. But I would say that that music is. Uh, the the hold music that you get when you have called a major corporation that dun, 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 that music is way more of a yeah. banger than the Joe Somebody score. Now I just want to point out George A. Clinton did all of the music for all three Austin Powers movies. No, no, yes. you're no, yes. you're joking. No, no, that's I'm not, not possible. That is it physically is. It's true. It's a hundred percent true. He did. Okay, well, um, I I am. I am hoisted firmly upon my petard at this point. Uh, I George S. Clinton, better than George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic, evidently. No. Uh, he's, he's made a bigger impression on my life through his work on the Austin Powers films. <laughs> uh, okay, where do, we, where do we start with this? Um, breaking this down, Tim's in a funk. Uh, okay, let me, let me start by asking this. Yeah. His reaction to getting slapped. Mm-hmm. Do you think it is um, plausible? Uh, do you think it's making you go too far to meet it at its emotional level? Mm, I, I I would say it does. It's not completely plausible with the character as he's been set up. Okay, and because because Tim is slapped by Patrick Warburton, and the movie gets like he seems thoroughly broken like this is the, the level of dramatic performance that we get from tim allen here is about on par with that episode of home improvement where he's standing in the darkened kitchen talking about rem- yeah. memories of his father dying as a child and his fears yeah. that he's going to leave his own sons like it's and tim allen as I, folks i don't know if you've heard me say this before but tim allen has chops as a dramatic actor and is great great at it like it feels so heavy and so very real right after we've been watching him driving around and hearing. You're right. They they haven't done enough to set up like this is the last straw of Tim's dignity. Exactly. It's really, he, he seems like a 
you know, maybe not living the life that he wants, but um, he doesn't seem like, you know, a broken hollow shell like Edward Norton in Fight Club. No, no. (laughs) You know, like this is just a guy going through his life and, you know, he doesn't like his job exactly, but he he seems happy and cheerful enough. And he had a moment talking to Julie Bowen and flirting with her earlier in the day. Like things aren't 100% going against him here. Julie Bowen clearly likes him, even offers to buy him a coffee, and he just kind of anxiously turns her down, kind of inexplicably. Also, his daughter clearly adores him. She loves him. She wants to spend so much time with him. He has a very close relationship with his daughter. Like, he has good stuff going on in his life. This is not a man who, like... I mean, it's it's interesting. There's two other Tim Allen movies where he has a child who thinks he's a loser, and like, <laughs> yes, th- it, that would heighten the stakes if his daughter already thinks he's a, a loser and then watches him get smacked down by yeah. this guy. Or you know, at the very least, have like Ken Marino be another like threat to his masculinity or or something. Not that I'm looking for that type of story, but you know, like, yeah, have have there be a perceived like, oh, she's getting the the fatherhood from another guy in her life that I can't provide her and like that way when when he gets hit in front of her it like means something yeah when he gets hit in front of her it's just like oh dude she doesn't care <laughs> yeah she's most- I mean she cares about your well-being but not like you look like a pussy Exactly. She her 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 only Not reaction. Not my word, but just a, I'm, I, I I I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. But no, her her only reaction to it is just genuine concern for her father. And throughout the movie, her whole thing is just, Dad, why are you trying to fight this guy? I'm worried about you. I love you. Like, I I. But we'll talk about this more. But the amount of therapy this poor girl is going yeah. to need. The uh, oh my god. I mean, it's a good thing she wants to be a writer because she's going to have plenty of stuff to mine for memoirs oh and screenplays down the I line. Have so many questions. I was so confused by the last scene of this movie, but um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we'll get there in about four hours. Um, can we? I mean, okay. Do we want to talk? Do we want to just crack open the daughter a little bit in terms of just talking yeah. about her character and who she is? So Hayden uh, Bentieri. Yeah, uh, exactly. I can't criticize you for how you pronounce it. It's your heritage. It's uh, she's playing uh, JTT. She's playing yeah. Randy. Yes, yes, girl Randy. Early on in this movie, we've got nebbish Tim Allen wearing the glasses, and I'm think and and being nervous, and I'm thinking like, okay, well, this is great. This at least means that that we're not getting bravado and grievance, and his little Mm -hmm. jokes and clowning all the time. And as soon as he picks up his daughter, I just realize, oh, God, they gave all the Tim Allen jokey lines to this little girl. (laughs) So she's just constantly kind of like, like she's, you know, she's very critical of her mom's new age boyfriend and is just always complaining about like, oh, he took me to a, you know, they took me to this one man show and the ushers were naked and the main guy on stage was half naked. And they took me to this vegan restaurant and I ordered a cheeseburger and it tasted like couch cushions. And like, <laughs> it, it just, it sounds like Tim Allen's stand up act of kind of just like, can you believe these granola ass hippies are at here? Like, but... <laughs> coming out of like a 12 year old girl's mouth which makes it somehow even even more odious to see her just like giving voice to all these middle-aged grievances uh, yeah, yeah i guess i i didn't look at it that way but i can ho- totally see it yeah i kind what, of what, uh, washed over me what, what way did you look at it 
I well, I don't know. I guess I didn't look at it any certain way. Uh, I thought she is a pretty capable. You know, it's you get these you know child actors and roles like this uh, that are overwritten, and yeah. uh, it's easy for them to be you know too precocious and grating. And uh, I thought she you know had a really great screen presence uh, despite all of that. I she a great great performance. I got I got no complaints about Hayden Panettiere. She like. She honestly straddles the emotional chasm of this movie better than most of the other actors in it. She can play both precocious girl in a family comedy and also, like, genuine drama, worried about her dad who's behaving like a unbalanced person. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I agree. She, She might be the MVP of the movie. Yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly. Uh, Unless you want to talk about Benny. Uh, be- wait, Benny, who's, who is, wait, are you talking about the character or are you talking about the fact that uh, Benny plays a minor role in this movie? <laughs> Benny plays a minor role in this movie. Uh, yeah, well, that's not in the first act now, is it, Landon? Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. All right. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't have much else to say about her. It, it, well, you, oh, God, mouth noises, sorry. <laughs> I... I will say this maybe as kind of a using her to make a general note about the movie, which is there are all these like pseudo subplots that don't really hold a lot of weight, though they feel like they should. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't really go anywhere. Yeah. So like I don't really ever get a sense of conflict between Tim and his daughter. Like no. they're f- they're good at the beginning. She has to see him go through something. They're good at the end. Even yeah. through his, like, I'm going to go beat up this dude. She's just like, I wish you wouldn't, but, you know, you're still my dad. Whatever. Um, same with his ex-wife. There's this kind of, like, I guess they're more for comic relief, but, you know, they're trying to, like, there's a scene. It's not in this uh, act, but, but go for it, where yeah. we just see uh, Hayden at school talking to her principal or this guidance counselor or something. And it's, like, trying to set up a more depth of the family drama going on because mm-hmm. uh, it completely takes us out of the main story and yes doesn't really go anywhere yeah well like and the, the same the, i think could be said for julie bowen and you know the the whole thing with the the boss at the the company and just all kinds of stuff that never quite could congeal into something yeah well no that's i think that's a good point there's not really that much conflict in this movie at all which is wild when you consider that the whole plot of the movie is two dudes having a fight but there's really (laughs) after he challenges publicly challenges patrick warburton to the fight yeah there's just there's no conflict it's basically people start liking him and he's hanging out with people at the office and being accepted into the upper echelons of the company for some reason and some people around him, namely Julie Bowen and his daughter, voice skepticism about him fighting this guy, but they don't really hold to it, and that doesn't escalate, and then in the next scene, they're nice to him again. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so there's, it, it's just a, occurrences, basically. <laughs> occurrence. <laughs> Joe occurrence. Occurrences. at Howell, at Tim, Tim Creek bridge um, yeah yeah the 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 last scene of the movie there at the play and then it just and it just cuts back to him hitting the ground after being slapped like the entire <laughs> the entire movie took place between patrick warburton <laughs> slapping him and tim allen hitting the ground that's a that's a that's oh a little in joke for all you occurrence at owl creek bridge heads out there hope you <laughs> hope you enjoy it 
<laughs> oh my god i someone has to do a fan edit of this movie to <laughs> figure that out that would require this movie to have fans uh so <laughs> good uh, point good point uh, t- tall order indeed i don't know do I'm, tr- I'm trying to think is there more in this weird fr- i mean i don't know do we want to get more into how depressed he is at home or do we want to just start moving into act two no well i i don't feel like we're done exploring it quite yet um do, do like, we want? Do we want to talk about yeah. the slap and Patrick Warburton? Yeah, let's talk about the slap because this. I okay. I I think I forgot to mention, but I did see this in the theater. Yeah, you, and you mentioned. I did mention that, and I've never forgotten that this movie existed and that I saw it in the theater. But if you had pressed me up to two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, what is this movie about, and can you tell me certain scenes from it? I. I would have told you, oh, he gets in a fight, he gets punched, and wants to fight back. Yeah. And that's all I, I would be able to tell you. I couldn't tell you a character from it. I couldn't tell you. I probably could name that Patrick Warburton was in it, but yeah. couldn't tell you literally a scene, a line of dialogue, nothing about this movie. It, it, may, it makes, it, it leaves no trace. It, it leaves no trace. So, where was I going with that, Sherman? I, well, I don't know. We were going to talk about the slap. We we're going to talk about Patrick Warburton. Is it maybe the fact oh, yeah. that? Oh, okay. Do you, do you remember where you were? Or shall I take take the reins? Shall I? Well, you can take I the reins, and I'll I'll rein it back to where I was going to go with it. Okay, I'll slap you in the face and park in your your conversational spot. <laughs> okay. So Patrick Warburton uh, should be the antagonist of this movie, but he's kind of barely in it. Barely, and we in never it. get to know him, which is a ridiculous because patrick warburton is like a like he is a good on-screen presence like he is really yes. good at the thing that he does his deadpan affect he's good at being a big galoot he's good at being a bully um he you know he's parked in tim's spot tim challenges him and just uh excuse me uh, this is the 10-year employee lot and, and uh, i actually that's the last spot could i please park here and warburton immediately is like let me tell you something bud you get back in your car in five seconds, and I'm not going to punch you here in front of all these people. And sure enough, he punches him, knocks him down, and then just goes it, back about it. Yeah. Slaps him specifically, which yes. is different than punching. Yes, it's it's it's, it's two it's, slaps. I think a punch would have more respect. Now, this is where I was going to go with it, which is it put me in mind of one of my all-time favorite films, uh, this film called He Who Gets Slapped. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's a silent film. Um, starring Lon Chaney Sr., mm. mm-hmm. where he plays this brilliant professor who um, it has these discoveries um, and is going to present them uh, via his mentor in front of this big science community. And uh, his mentor presents them as his own ideas. Uh, and when he tries to confront him, like, say, in front of the entire science community at this convention, uh, he's like, those are my ideas. Uh, why are you presenting them as yours? And the professor slaps him in the face and Damn. he goes so he, he falls so far that he becomes a, a like drunk circus clown. And then <laughs> he uh, he becomes a clown whose act is getting slapped in the face every single night. Uh, it is a wow. dark movie. It's the movie that this movie should have been. <laughs> Should have been completely silent, but but with with a little jangly silent film piano version of like. <laughs> There's a, uh, uh, but yeah, the slap versus the punch. I think that 
him getting slapped in the face is like, I don't even respect you enough to like close my fist and punch mm-hmm. you like a man. You that. are going to get backhanded. Uh, and I, I think there's something to that. Um, yeah. Which is not explored at all. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, but it, it makes like the depression a little bit more like, if he was punched in the face, I wouldn't believe he would have an emotional reaction to it. If he's yeah. slapped in the face, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not a man. Like, it makes you question things. Sure, exactly. Or it makes a person, like the, the personality that Tim puts on in his movies and TV series, makes that character question things. Uh, it is it is the greatest possible insult to the type of dude who Tim Allen frequently plays. Yes. Um, But it just, in, and also, though, this act... Patrick Warburton's reaction to Tim and and all of this, this raises a lot of questions about, wait, who the hell is this Patrick Warburton character? How, <laughs> that like, no one is, would call the cops? Yeah, well, the, like, he does this in front of a crowd of people. There is a crowd of people gasping and watching as this happens, and they're all staring at him as he walks away. And then later, like, it, you know, so, like, we just go from that to Tim at home in a slew of depression— and it's like then later, uh, like and you, after- you know he's depressed because there are loose French fries on his sideboard. Yes, yes. Oh, you know what? Uh, people who are in a good state of mental health they keep careful track of every single French fry. It goes from plate to mouth. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> wait my- a minute. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Do you put French fries on a plate? Uh, yeah, yes, Landon. Why are you gonna judge me about how I eat things? You take the, you empty it out on the plate. When you're sharing them, it makes it easier than you're just trying to both dig into the same bag. I'm, I'm not, I'm not with you. I'm not letting you guilt me. I'm not having a repeat of the Fritos incident. Uh, <laughs> the Fritos incident. <laughs> look, cr- cr- criticizing the way I eat chili and French fries is akin to slapping me across the face with an open palm. <laughs> how dare you challenge my masculinity? <laughs> <laughs> and the way that I harden my arteries and raise my cholesterol, sir. Uh, so, but he 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 goes home for a few days of depression. But like, there's no sense of consequences for Patrick Warburton until a scene or two later when we see Tim's boss and Julie Bowen talking about the incident, and and like you know the boss hears about it and says like you know oh oh uh, Patrick War oh. Patrick Warburton, Mark McKinney. Oh, that yeah, that guy's a that guy's a total goon. He's a menace. Yeah, whatever. Oh, he's been suspended for a few weeks. So it's like Patrick Warburton's character has a reputation around the office for being a bully. He has yeah. assaulted another employee on company grounds. He is suspended for a couple weeks. There is no police report there is no hint of the company saying like maybe the violent person shouldn't work here maybe the crowd of other employees who saw this happen won't feel safe continuing to work here i have to admit there there was a a a three minute window here where this movie almost completely lost me where that was exactly the problem no one was calling the cops people just kind of like step out of patrick warburton's way as he goes back to his car to get his briefcase to go into work uh, where it wasn't until the scene with the the boss, uh, Julie Bowen's boss, boss of the yeah. company, whoever the fuck this guy is, um, where he says we you got to go out there and talk to him because you know we don't want him to file a lawsuit. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay, there is some acknowledgement that you know you can't just hit people, <laughs> you can't just commit crimes uh, without some sort of repercussion in this world. <laughs> It's it's just really like it, this this movie presents the the 
office as like a state of nature, you know, where it's just the strongest, <laughs> basically the strongest yeah. person Ugh. is in control and people only respond to force. It, it is... Yeah, I, I wish I, I could say it was a bygone era. I don't think it is, but uh, it's I, definitely indicative of another time. It, it is. Well, it, I mean, I think this is some this has the vibes of the sort of, you know, the, the pre 9-11, you know, the, the trifecta of American Beauty, Fight Club and The Matrix of like, I work in an office and it sucks. Yeah. Like it just, yeah. you know, uh, the uh, painting it as this awful dystopia. And that, now listen, listen, folks, uh, work sucks. Offices suck. I agree. It's just like it seemed like. There were a lot of movies that were just positioning that working in a cubicle was a, you know, this the ninth circle of hell. So, oh, yeah, I know what I we mean, could th- talk about. Okay, well, I, I mean, I would I would just say, I would just say, this is the first, like, th- this was my first evidence that the movie was operating on porn logic, was just like, <laughs> oh, this this dude assaulted uh-huh. another employee in front of a crowd, and, and the whole company, like, the management's response is to just kind of shrug and say, ah, I don't know, what are you going to do? People get punched. Oh, what, are you, uh, what are you gonna do? Your stepmom wants to have sex with you. I don't know. It's just a thing that happens in the world, you know. Did you ever see uh, that Charlie Day Ice Cube movie Fist Fight? <laughs> I saw trailers for it. I, I yeah, and I, I and based based on the trailers, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna give it a miss. I I didn't see that because I I think I this movie was ringing in the back of my head somewhere, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know that. I'm I'm eager for a good comedy to come out at some point, and you know I like Charlie Day enough, but uh, I was like, it felt a little crass, and I'm like, I don't know that I want to laugh at you know people fucking encouraging fighting, though that might not be the point of the movie, but that's how it was marketed. <laughs> anyway, um, why did I ask that? I don't remember. Uh, I, I know I, what we I, can talk about. Yeah, what what can we talk about? Tim being a video editor. <laughs> Yeah, oh boy, ripped from the headlines. <laughs> uh, okay, now, I hate to bring it back to crazy on the outside. <sighs> okay. But at this point, we've oh seen boy. all of Tim Allen's movies, and we talked about the various components that make up crazy on the outside. Yes. This movie brings in a few things that we're missing. Okay. Uh, Julie Bowen. Yep, Julie Bowen is there. Uh, this video editing business uh that he had you know he's ripping cds i think in in crazy on the outside well it's 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 video pirating uh you know uh, or pirating pirating movies yeah yeah so i mean it's not a one-to-one but i think that there's uh you know a little bit of in the same ballpark well well the fact that the, the fact that he is sitting at a video editing bay at one point in this movie and also that the Ray Liotta's drug den of vice and iniquity in Crazy on the Outside is very clearly the editing yes. facility for the movie Crazy on the Outside that's also a parallel. <laughs> uh so one just kind of side note of trivia on the commentary uh, Pasquin says that the videos that were created for the pharmaceutical commercials and for this Bring Your Daughter to Work Day mm-hmm. were filmed and edited by Jeff Nelson. But no evidence I could find showed that it was Jeffrey Nelson, director of many, many Home Improvement episodes. But yeah. that would be an interesting coincidence. That would be. I feel like the the videos, like, the, the movie is is kind of trying to imply that I think Tim Allen is both editing the company's internal videos and also seemingly their commercials. Because there's a few, 
uh, times where a TV is on in the background and it's playing an ad for one of the pharmaceuticals that this company sells, and <laughs> oh, it's the, the long the long list of side effects at the end, <laughs> which is milked for comedy. Yeah, what's up? I'm gonna give you. This is gonna be me pushing my glasses up my nose, but I, I immediately want to take them and throw them across the room. Okay, uh, for for correcting you on this, uh, just because this touches my own life and career so much. Uh, he specifically does videos for internal communications. That is his job title. Okay, internal okay. communications. So it's stuff like bring your daughter to work day video to promote for all employees. She, uh, Julie Bowen at one point says, Oh, your video last year made me cry. I can't remember which one it was, but, uh, yeah. Point of order, by the way, for that, Julie Bowen, are you okay? That a, (laughs) that an internal company promotional video is making you cry? Girl, I know a few people, I know a few people who, uh, listen, you're, you're steeped in the culture day in and day out. You know, you can fall susceptible to these things. I'm pointing the finger at myself a little bit. Well, look, and also, like, uh, and you have made some videos for the place that you work, and I would say it would make sense for your workplace because you guys actually do some inspiring and good stuff. We don't need to talk about where you work or what you do. But that makes sense. This is, but this is like, this is, this is a pharmaceutical company. And by the way, a movie, (laughs) that's another, that's another aspect of a bygone era it's like he's just an ordinary honest good dude who works at a folksy uh major pharmaceutical company and the movie is not about how comically evil the pharmaceutical company is okay so as as weird as this is i will give it credit that like they could have just easily made him like an accountant some thankless job we've seen a hundred thousand times before so it's a little bit different and that's yeah that's something yeah, yeah, no, that I don't that really is buy Tim Allen in the role, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't buy that he knows what to do with iMovie open on his computer screen. <laughs> but there is, no, no, I really do applaud the movie for giving this guy a specific job and not a bullshit movie job. And also, I love that later in the movie when he gets his super deluxe executive office, that there is a big, elaborate, like avid editing rig in there like mm-hmm. a full-on editing bay state of the art for the time period when this movie came out and it's like wow you like you guys really are leaning into this you are being very accurate with what a nice office for a professional video editor would look like because <laughs> he gets promoted to director of internal communications yes which exactly. is to imply there is a, a you know a director of external communications or marketing uh that is a completely separate job and department probably from what he's doing yeah, yeah, but he's which but is na- to say not he's probably not doing the commercials that he's watching on TV. No, no, most likely those commercials are being made by an ad agency, and you know we could go on and discuss marketing strategies for major corporations all day, but that might make the podcast a little too well, good. I mean, it was a note of mine that I'm like this job title he has is non-existent in five years. No, absolutely, a- absolutely, it's it is it is something that they are making the intern do. Um. <laughs> A, a, a Joe nobody. Um, um, I think we can keep pushing forward because uh, there's not a lot in Act Two, and I think we'll we'll reference anything that we missed. So yeah, yeah. The, the, get one, now let's get into the packing peanuts. So basically, Julie Bowen has you know he has had this revelation that you know what this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to reclaim what he took from me. When he's talking to Julie Bowen in his slew of despond, he says at one point he took something from me more than just my parking space and subtext is masculinity uh is, and the text is also masculinity but 
so so he he goes to work and uh basically is in Julie Bowen's boss's office. Julie Bowen's boss is trying to sweet talk him to keep him from suing and he's uh, and Julie Bowen and her boss are trying to talk him out of fighting Patrick Warburton. They get Patrick Warburton on or they start dialing Patrick Warburton on speakerphone so Tim can uh, tell him, no, I don't want to fight. Wait, I skipped over something important. First, before all this, Tim drives to Patrick Warburton's house, sees Patrick Warburton outside, and says to him, hey, I want to fight you. Let's let's do it. Like, I'm, I'm going to kick the crap out of you. Let's set a time and fight. And Patrick Warburton says, okay. And, ev- and this becomes big news. Everybody knows about this. At work, Julie Bowen's boss is trying to convince him not to do this. They're trying to convince him, hey, we're going to call Patrick Warburton. You tell him you don't want to fight him. Right before making the call, Tim goes out to grab some water at the water cooler, and everybody in the office is suddenly going like, hey, you're Joe. Hey, you're the guy who's going to beat up Patrick Warburton. Hey, you're my hero. Hey, about that, about time. That guy needs to get his ass kicked. Like, I want to, can I pause there real quick? Before... Yeah, pause there. Pause there. Okay. What strikes me weird about that is that I could see him working in like a department of nerds and they're suddenly looking up to him as like, hey, someone finally did the thing that we couldn't all do. Yes. But they're like kind of broy dudes. They're like Wall Street type of dudes who are like, yeah. hey, you're one of us now that you fucking stuck up for yourself and are going to go punch a guy. Yeah. C- come play squash with us in the executive uh, in the executive gym. <laughs> that was just such a weird like, it kind of put a weird taste in my mouth. Yes, yes. Much of the second act of this movie uh, really does. He So everyone is everyone is just singing his praises and celebrating him and, like, clapping for him like he's a hero. This woman, like, takes him by the arm. This beautiful woman takes him by the arm and kisses him. And it's like, hey, everybody, this guy's my hero, you know. And, and then, so he goes back into... What's happening in her life? <laughs> I, I but why why is a guy saying I'm gonna fight this other guy in the parking lot her hero? Uh, yes, yes. I, I well, I, I can I can suspect that maybe maybe she had a father figure who was prone to violent threats and she's working through some stuff. But ah, uh, okay, but, right. but my therapist has asked me not to psychoanalyze other people. So, ah. um, but so he goes back then into the office where they've got Patrick Warburton on speakerphone and now emboldened by this positive reinforcement over his threat of violence, he tells Patrick Warburton on the phone, three weeks from now, you and me, company parking lot, I am going to kick your ass. And Patrick Warburton's like, yeah, you're on. And Julie Bowen and her boss, Julie Bowen, who's basically head of wellness, head of HR, and her boss, who's Tim's direct supervisor, are both just like, well, what are you going to do? Can't do anything. All right. Well, we tried. Porn logic. Guess. (laughs) Porn logic. Guess the, guess, guess I'm going to fuck the cable guy. You so, know, porn logic, I do want to take a second to talk about Julie Bowen, who, mm-hmm. you know, uh, women just are done so dirty in every of <laughs> one of these Tamil movies. Yeah, that's um, true. And to speak to the porn logic of the introduction to her character, uh, as as the, the producer um, oh, wanted boy. us to know on the commentary that, you know, in a, in a real, like... Cla- this is a classic Hollywood thing. They have a cute meat. <laughs> a cute meat? The- <laughs> he called it a cute meat. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's me That's me at the butcher shop. Mm, that's a cute meat. I'll take that one. <laughs> uh, Julie Bowen can't put up a 
Oh my God, put up a banner on her uh, like table setup at this conference and Tim Allen uh, it sees it from across the room and decides to walk over and help her. She like puts up one end of the banner and then the other banner and flops down and then she tries the other end and then the mm-hmm. first end flops down and she's just like so exasperated that this banner has bested her and Tim Tim's solution is to go over and get on a stepladder and ask her to hand him the stapler. Yeah. Yeah, like she's that is like the beginning of a porn like, oh, dear, what am I going to do with this banner that I can't get up? Well, hand me that stapler and we'll see what, you know, like, (laughs) you know, the the way you get that banner to stay where it is, is you just have to nail it really hard. You want me to show you? (laughs) Um, Why did my writing career never take off? The the whole industry is right in my backyard. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ju- Julie Bowen is is poorly served throughout, uh, and and that just sets the tone kind of for for much of it. Although I will say, to this movie's credit, they give her more interiority than the cute girl inexplicably falling in love with an idiot gets in a lot of movies. In that I'm... she has interests outside of work, yeah, outside of okay. Tim. She, I'm not she saying does, they're uh, well She does out. volunteer, yeah. She I will say a lot of that. I, I'm not quite ready to give that the movie's credit. I think Julie Bowen brings a lot of depth to the character that's not on the page. Uh, this movie does not deserve Julie Bowen, much as Crazy on the Outside also did not deserve Julie Bowen. <laughs> and we did not deserve Crazy on the Outside. No, no, we did not. We've been good people, mostly. I lost um, a TV to it. Yeah, uh, yes, I, that, that's true. That's true. T- Tim Alon came and, and claimed your TV. Um, and, and yet you continue to tempt the demon by continuing to watch Tim Alon's films. Um, one more. One more. Yeah, one more. But the good one, though. Uh, so they, uh, yeah, so he he's challenged Patrick Warburton to the fight. And then at, and then at that point, um, it's then just it's fun and games for the next hour. Well, heavy quotes, but yeah, it's packing peanuts. It is Tim going oh, to okay. A, it is it, it, it look. It's just it's just Tim going to a dojo where he meets uh uh John Belushi and a lot of scenes of Tim training with John Belushi that were all very much filmed in the same day. And we just kind of intercut with these whenever the other fun and games are getting stale. It is Tim hanging out with the executive dude bros who now like him and doing fun high status stuff with them. It is. Tim's daughter not doing very well in school. Eh, not even really that. That happens like one time. It's basically Tim and his daughter and his daughter telling him, eh, maybe don't do this. And it's Tim flirting with Julie Bowen and Julie Bowen occasionally going like, eh, maybe you shouldn't fight this guy. Uh, th- those are the kind of the four main things that go on for the yeah. next hour. And this is where the movie fails. Um, the, the, where... the second act, the bulk of the movie is where the movie <laughs> fails. I mean, the, this is the thing. In 2002, you want to go see Tim Allen. You're going to get a lot of Tim Allen in the second act. Uh, so, you know, I can't necessarily blame it on paper. But, you know, 20 years later, this movie, like, what should be happening here is a slow buildup of his confidence and that confidence be getting more, you know, respect at work or in his life. And, you know, he's able to just have the self-assurance to to do things. Yeah. Uh, but really, these like what's happening at work has literally no impact. Or let me rephrase that: what he's doing at the dojo has literally no impact on his popularity at work. No, it's no. he's already got the popularity at work, and he's going to learn how to 
fight. <laughs> it, yes, exactly, exactly. the uh, the The message of uh, the message of this guy, you know, finding uh, you know, a hobby that motivates him, and you know, kind of getting getting in shape and working through stuff and centering himself through learning quote unquote martial arts building self-confidence and then his life being better because he is more self-confident. There, there's something to be had there. This movie suggests from the Thinking second... anything starring Steve Carell. Yes, basically, basically. Uh, this movie just suggests that all you have to do is threaten to hurt someone and then your life will get a lot better, which is a really gross message like that's yes that's not the end message of the movie the movie swerves to make a point that no punching people is actually like the stronger thing is to not fight people but for most of the movie it's saying like man all you got to do is publicly threaten another person and everyone will like you and your life will be amazing let's talk about jim belushi yes we have to talk about jim uh a a afterthought character i feel like in this movie like yes they they started with tim has to learn how to fight so therefore someone has to teach him and that's yes. as far as they got <laughs> uh, yeah when he goes to this kind of rundown strip mall dojo that seems to be closed and knocks on the door and it's you know not marsh- there are a lot of them in this area uh, okay okay <laughs> the, so I, the- I still i there's one within walking distance of my house <laughs> <laughs> so when are you going to become a, a karate master? You have no excuse. I, I did that at 10. <laughs> I, I will remind you that I'm a black belt in karate if you consider I got it when I was 10 years old. Okay, okay, right. I forgot that you were Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon. Um, <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> So, yeah, but he he goes and I'm I'm it knocks on the door and I'm immediately tugging at my collar, anime sweat drop, thinking like, oh god, what stereotypical Asian guy is gonna answer? And when it's instead Jim Belushi, my response is like, oh okay, you know this is okay. So Jim Belushi is kind of like the other big character in this movie, and this it's gonna be kind of like a sort of a uh, you know knockoff karate kid like Jim Belushi helping you know t- Tim learning from him, him learning from Tim. No, it's it's not it's not that. It's just there's a few scenes of, like, Jim Belushi kicking Tim in the nuts. Yes. Interspersed A few throughout. scenes. I'd say the majority of their scenes together are them talking about his nuts. The, it, it's it's funny. Like, for the amount of flirting with multiple beautiful women Tim does, it's like he's, he's either... He's either flirting with Julie Bowen or getting kicked in the nuts so much that he has to sit on a bag of ice. And it's like, well, what one of those is going to inhibit your interest in the other. That's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, so there is one thing I like about Jim Belushi. And at first I thought it's not necessarily about him, but it's about a choice they made to put to make him a a washed up movie star like a, a c-level movie star someone standing in uh andy sedaris movies <laughs> yes yes G- genuinely interesting that he is a washed up b-movie actor yeah because his entire dojo is covered wall to wall with old movie posters and uh there's the the level of detail they got on the posters is so accurate it's i don't know it's really funny um what, what, there's one in particular that I like. He's like straight out of prison and in, uh, oh wait, straight out of hell and into the depths of Attica. Yeah. 
I, I there's 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 one that Tim Allen reacts to. He's looking at one of these posters and he goes, "Tom Sawyer must die." And Jim Belushi goes, "Yeah, it's a loose adaptation. Tom's played by a rival ninja." <laughs> I, uh, that that part I really enjoyed. I thought that yes. was a nice touch. Uh, this is an interesting character, more interesting than anyone else in the movie, and he is. They don't in, do anything with him. He's in eight minutes of the movie. I mean, they they do they give him they give him one crowning moment of awesome, which is him punching Tim Allen in the throat, which again <laughs> is a a balm for my weary soul at, when I reflect on season three of Home Improvement. <laughs> uh, how do you generally feel about Jim Belushi? I mean, I don't have a super strong opinion about him. Honestly, watching this raised my opinion of him. I, I like I I can't remember the last thing I saw him in. I don't think I've watched that yeah. much with him. But like seeing this, it's like he's this character is funny. He's inhabiting it pretty fully. He's whole assing the role, I think. I I, I don't know. I Yeah. He gets a lot of guff, and I, I think he, you know, he is kind of just a, a dude's dude, and that's kind of eye rolly, but Yeah. You know, I haven't really not like them in something, you know, I've not liked the things I've seen him in, but him himself, I haven't disliked. And I think when he tries and he's able to step outside the box sometimes, like he's got a big part in Twin Peaks, the return. And I thought he did pretty good. Yeah. Um, and he's got, you know, his own brand, uh, uh, his own cannabis farm now. So (laughs) he's doing, doing, I think a little bit better than, uh, Crystal Skull, uh, vodka or uh, is it vodka or tequila? Uh, it's it's vodka. Yeah, it's uh, although although look, if if the weed he's selling comes in a glass container shaped like a skull, that's that's next level. That's that's really he's he's living his best life. <laughs> uh, so you know, like I don't know if this was that they had to get Jim Belushi in and out in like three days of filming, but feels like his entire you know, presence of this movie is mostly in the dojo with one scene at the end uh, at the playground where they end up fighting. I, I feel like this is two days of shooting. I, I really think <laughs> they got him. They shot him out in two. Uh, four with the travel, because they did shoot this movie in Minnesota. Yes, that's true. So, they, yeah, well, I, I almost feel like I almost feel like they had him on a long layover. Like, I don't know. He was flying, <laughs> like, he was on his way to, like, another movie, and they were like, hey, hey, look, just book your next flight two days after you connect through Minneapolis. We will do the rest. <laughs> right, right. Well, just He's going from L.A. to New York, and they're like, just, <laughs> can you extend the layover for two days in Minneapolis, and uh, we'll get you, we'll squeeze in another movie for you. Yeah, and we'll give you a meal voucher for the airport Applebee's to sweeten the pot. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, it, it's, just, yeah, like, I th- I think we've said this already, but I can't stress enough how his, the, the, Joe learning how to fight, which seems like it would be the entire core of the movie, is really eight to ten minutes of the movie. It is just scenes that we cut to from other scenes in the movie. It's like, okay, we have, yeah. we have seen the, we, we've had a scene where Tim has a dream about, fighting with Patrick Warburton at a Target in the process of buying some protein powder and making a protein shake and trying the protein shake and it's gross and he dumps it down the sink. Okay, we've had that whole sequence. Now what are you going to cut to before we get to the next scene with uh, Julie Bowen? Oh, let's cut to him at the dojo again, getting kicked in the nuts under different circumstances. In, in case you forgot this was 2001, we've got some Fat Boy Slim weapon of choice montaging this whole thing 
And I'm 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 bummed because I like that song a lot, and I really like the music video with Christopher Walken dancing. Yeah. And I'm just like, and it's just really they just kind of use that as like intro music to get us into a scene of Tim at a suit store looking at a suit that he likes and punching a mannequin. Which which yeah, the, it's oh God. He he is he is talking tough to this mannequin and punches the head off of it and the employees watch the head roll up to them and just stare at Tim in kind of confusion. Porn logic, you do a thing like this and you're not immediately asked to leave the store or arrested. It's just like, oh, he must be getting ready to fight someone. Fighting, the only thing that matters in the world we live in. Um, Truman. Landon. I'm going to go down. I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm deeply rubbing the temples of my head for what I'm about to say. Okay, okay. I, <laughs> instead of Leonardo DiCaprio and the, the whatever it is that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is. Yeah. I would love to have seen a story similar to what Rick Dalton goes through. Mm-hmm. But it's someone taking like a Tim Allen character and going... Do you really, you know, having having that actor existential crisis of doing, you know, six movies in a row where you're flailing your hands and that's called improvisation. <laughs> Someone like sitting them down and going, you you had dreams of being an actor and now you're doing this for the paycheck. You know, like having a deep look at, you know, a man in his middle life flailing his hands and thinking, what can I do to, you know, relive or recapture the 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 acting that I set out to do initially. I, I mean, look, I can see a story. I, I can see that being interesting, and I can see both of us enjoying that more than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But at the same time, I don't think that, like, you know, as some actor who like went to Juilliard and is doing that can look at that and see how far he's fallen. Tim Allen was in a federal prison, so like waving your hands around in front of a guy's face and calling it improv for him, that's that's. Uh, unequivocally but it's like started at the bottom now we're here he's been doing the same thing that's the kind of what i was getting to is like how many times have we seen him all right i'm gonna i i watching this movie i pinned the the word that defines tim allen yes uh and, and his characters it, it took me eight years of doing this podcast to do it but i f- i finally pinpointed it okay and when i say it you're i think well, I don't I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I think you're going to be like, oh, my God. Yes, that's it. And so how many times can Tim Allen play a character where he just kind of indignantly says, hey, <laughs> I mean, hey, 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 how many times can you say that? Like uh, being frustrated or, you know, having precocious kids around you or someone doing something that you don't want them to do or you trying to stop someone or. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, e- echoes of him in The Shaggy Dog, where most of what he did was just sit in a voiceover booth and go, no, no, no! <laughs> right, right. But, well, whatever. Um, I don't know why I went down that route. Uh, get us back on track. So, yeah, th- so there's the Jim Belushi of it all, which is basically nothing. Can we talk just, like, can we really, really get into the porno logic of just how everyone at the, like, how his social yes. life at the office changes? Yes. Okay. Uh we're going to get to Backstreet Boys at some point, right? 
Uh, yes, yes. We are definitely, like, I think this is probably the sequence of the podcast in which we will. So okay. The the dude bro executives, the the kind of American psycho crew at the office are all up on Tim because he is threatened to punch someone and he's the big hero. And so now he's, you know, he's hanging out with them at their athletic club. They're inviting him out for karaoke and everything. And I like I, it's it, this is it is just it is so like. Folks, words, folks, words, use words, folks, folks, if you, if you work in an office, if you, if, like, I'm sure that some people listening to this have worked in an office at some point. I have, Landon mm-hmm. has, we all have. If, just picture, if you will, if one of your coworkers punched another one of your, well, if one of your coworkers slapped another one of your coworkers down, and then the coworker who had been slapped very publicly challenged that guy to a fight, said, I'm going to take it back to you on company property, Ask yourself, how would I act towards this man? How would I treat this? Like, what would my reaction to him be? I'm guessing if it was in my workplace, I would be like, what the fuck is that guy's problem? He seems unwell. (laughs) Why are you like, why would any like everyone Uh in the office, like all of the people, his coworkers are kind of it's like a high school. Basically, everyone is super jazzed that there is going to be a fight. And it makes sense in a teen movie that everyone is super jazzed about there being a fight because they're all teenagers. They've got nothing else going on in their lives. It's so odd that all these people who seem to be, have successful careers, mortgages, families, college educations, not suggesting that a college education makes you inherently good or whatever. Like I hate to break this to you about boomers, Truman, but they stopped emotionally maturing when they were in high school and were forced to enter the workforce at a young age and work their way up a la, you know, this sort of culture. So corporate culture at the time was filled with a bunch of, you know, 35 to 50 year old teenagers. Yeah, but I, I, I somehow just still feel like the, the wanting to see two people fight is the most exciting thing, like watching two... Co- and okay, okay, actually, no, you know what? No, put that aside. Okay, fine. Let's just take okay. for granted that they are all a bunch of teenagers in suits and ties with mortgages. Um, Although, I want just I'll point out one very quick nuance, which is it's a little strange that the co workers that are bringing Tim Allen in are just a little bit younger than him. It is for weird. For some reason, that feels odd. It is weird, although that seems to be in line with the fact that Tim Allen basically after, in most of his films after Home Improvement, except for probably Galaxy Quest, is always trying to play younger than he is with less and less success. Uh, uh, Crazy on the Outside is the er example of this. Um, But, okay, look, uh, take for granted, okay, everyone at the office is teenagers. If, If in high school I get slapped down by the bully... And then I yeah. say to the bully, hey, I'm going to kick your ass. Everyone's not going to rally around me as the hero simply for having said I'm going to kick the guy's ass. Everyone is most likely going to be like, look at the nerd who got slapped around. He's probably going to get slapped around again. If I beat the bully up, then everyone at the high school would plausibly think I'm a badass. But, like, Tim is getting, like... You know, hey, here's tickets to see, you know, here's courtside seats to go to a yeah. basketball game and hang out with Governor Jesse Ventura. Here oh, is... Oh, I forgot about that whole sequence. <laughs> you know, here here's the executive washroom. Here's the new parking space. We love you. Let's hang out. Let's go play squash together. All because he said to a guy he's going to fight him. And I feel like 
everybody kind of knows it's very easy to challenge someone to a fight. <laughs> yeah. And well, to answer your initial question, because you laid out a lot there. Sorry. Uh, I, I remember a specific example of being on the bus, watching someone get uh, punched in the face, and then that person retaliating right away. And from there forward, I didn't want to anything to do with either of them. Yeah, exactly. But my, my initial reaction in this specific instance of a man being slapped up until he says, I, I'm basically, I think I would have Julie Bowen's perspective. Mm-hmm. I have a thing, uh, kind of wounded duck syndrome, I realize, uh, where, you know, I would try to befriend the person probably that yeah. was wronged. But yeah. the second that he goes and says, I want to get revenge, outside of trying to dissuade him a little bit, a la Julie Bowen here. A uh, little bit. I would be like, okay, well, and then want nothing to do with them. Yes. I, I like, the... the the porn logic of of okay, well he's he's just even though we told him not to fight this guy, he is now over like on a company phone line in front of us, challenged him to a fight on company property, and okay, well we're we're not gonna do anything about it. Oh well, just shrug our shoulders. That's enough. But then the fact that even Julie Bowen, who doesn't want him to fight this guy, is still like flirting with him, going out on dates with him, kind of like you know, slow dancing with him in a dive bar to slow jams on the jukebox. I kind of like that scene. I, uh, so, so, you know, in a vacuum. I, I like that scene in a vacuum, but but the vacuum is is sliced open and air rushes in when you consider that, like, like the way she's getting to know this guy is through the context of him publicly challenging another man to a fight, which seems yeah, like the yes. biggest red flag for a guy you don't really know. <laughs> Ladies, back yeah. me up here. Listen, we're an hour and a half into this podcast. I, we haven't talked about karaoke, and I don't know if I can last oh, much longer. I yes, have you know, to go into this. When I when no when when that's when that scene happened, I did write in my notes. Oh, Landon probably has thoughts. Okay, the the, <laughs> the American Psycho executives invite Tim to car- a karaoke party, which is apparently for Jolie Bowen's work anniversary. But at the karaoke, Tim and all the executives are up on stage singing a Backstreet Boys song and dancing. Landon, you have the floor. Oh, right. Start a timer. Here we go. Okay, two hours on the clock. <laughs> Uh, Tim Allen singing Backstreet Boys. Never thought I'd see that, even though I saw that 20 years ago. And and, and seem, seemingly enjoying it more than lip-syncing along with Grease, so that gives us yes. a window into his musical preferences. Or lip-syncing to, uh, or karaoke-ing to Bunny, uh, Bunny, Sonny and Cher uh, earlier <laughs> True. in the season. True, yes. Uh, and was it, didn't he have to sing in another one recently? Oh God! Another what home improvement episode recently, or another? No, movie no, recently? in a movie we watched. Oh, was it Christmas with the Cranks? He has to sing. No, maybe, maybe I'm mistaking that. But anyway, um, this karaoke performance is. Here's the thing with kar- depicting karaoke on screen is <laughs> pe- people, filmmakers don't trust that it's entertaining enough on its own because they don't tap into what makes karaoke interesting. Mm-hmm. This depiction of karaoke is psychotic. Yes. Okay. Why is it You've psychotic? Got six people on stage all singing 
the same song. Granted, yep. it's Backstreet Boys. There were five of them, not six of them. I'm not going to mince uh, <laughs> details on that. Oh, it's right the boy now. band police come to arrest you, Joe somebody. <laughs> Karaoke is about spontaneously getting up and singing and not being good at it, but still having a good time. Mm-hmm. These psychotic work holics american psychos. have worked out a dance routine to the song yeah they did if you're if you were in a bar and you watched six bros get up on stage <laughs> sing backstreet boys and perform a dance number to you you would be like fuck off anyway why the fuck are you taking the stage away from the rest of us I, this the 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 audience of watching this applauds this like they're bruce springsteen I, I mean, to be fair, these are their co-workers. Like, these aren't just... Ra- I think they rented the space out. These seem to be people they work with. I don't... That... Uh, still, I don't I don't buy it for a second. I, look, you, I... And if, okay, and if, if one person, if a single person karaokeing had a, so much confidence in their performance that they grabbed a glass of water off a table and poured it over their heads in a celebratory victory lap. <laughs> I I would I would petition the KJ, the karaoke jockey, to not allow them any more time on stage for the rest of the night. That stage is sopping wet now. Who knows what kind of electrical hazard it is with the microphone. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Fuck him. I, I, I mean I mean look, you want to talk about red flags. Like the the only like no, probably Tim challenging a guy to a fight is is the biggest red flag. But the second biggest is him just like spontaneously dumping an entire glass of water onto his face while wearing a suit in front of people. If I'm Julie Bowen and I see that, and she does, my my reaction is going to be like, uh, are, are are you okay? How much did you have to drink? Julie Bowen in this scene is the only person in reality. She's I, <laughs> watching the reaction that everybody has. Is she's just like. Did I step into the Twilight Zone? Is this part of the occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge? She, this is insane. No one is acting like this in reality. She's like she's like the parents at the end of A Dog for Christmas going like, what the fuck, Grandpa? Why did you get her a dog without consulting us? <laughs> she's like the judge in Mrs. Doubtfire being like, what the fuck? Why did you dress up like an old woman to be around your kids in violation of a court order? Like, yeah, she is... She has don't, this. First of all, hold on. I got. Don't leave us all in suspense. Did you watch a dog for Christmas again this holiday season? I th- this holiday season. No, oh, I, th- I, th- I thought I thought about it. But if I'm gonna be honest, I have I have been checking in on director Joel Paul Reesig's Facebook page from time to time and uh, seeing more of his. Um, sort of libertarian thoughts. I'm like, I don't want to give this guy any more clicks than he needs. So I'm going to let a dog for it's only because I'm the sure director's... he's not getting much residuals from Plex TV. I look, I, I'm just I the only reason I did not rewatch a dog for Christmas was because of the director's politics, not because of the movie's politics. status <laughs> as a work of art. Um, uh, very 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 good. Very good Landon. A a good joke for Christmas. Um, I, I pictured a, a a little husky in a, a a politics suit in a <laughs> standing in front of a podium. <laughs> yes, but that only happens in the last 30 seconds of the movie called a dog president. Um, so <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, but Julie Bowen's reaction to this is it, Yeah. It's the only authentic reaction. And like, 
she leaves the karaoke party early, disturbed and put off by what she's seen. And then yes. Tim chases her down outside and is like, hey, you know, you still owe me that coffee that you offered me earlier. Do you want to get together, you know, later for it? And she's like, mm, no, I'm pretty or like, yeah, I, I'm pretty busy tonight. I, I can't. I got to go home. Oh, it's like 730. Oh, but I have a very extensive personal grooming routine. I got to go. Like she's very clearly giving him the brush off and is walking away. And then he go and then he watches her go for a second. And then it's like, what about Monday? And she turns around and is like, yeah, I'm free on Monday. And I'm like, what? Porn. Porn logic. Porn logic. Complete porn logic. Like, in the time it took her to get another 30 feet away from him, she transmogrifies from a normal person back into a character in a porn movie. (laughs) (laughs) She was becoming sentient. Yeah, I know. In that one moment, the movie character was like, wait a minute, there's a world of logic outside of these walls. (laughs) Just when I thought I was out, they porned me back in. God. Yeah, yeah, so she agreed. So also, I guess this, I think maybe the point this movie is trying to make is that, ah, by learning to fight, Tim has, uh, you know, Tim has gained the confidence to continue asking a woman out after she's turned him down. The thing that, that men are supposed to do, which is... Uh, not in fact, what the men are supposed to do, and um, a little problematic. Yes, a little bit. I mean, yeah. I, I guess, I guess it would be more problematic if the movie showed him continuing to ask her out over multiple days. I mean, it's kind of amazing that this movie is suggesting wait four and a half seconds and then ask her again. G- give, give the woman a moment to think about, <laughs> really think about it. <laughs> um. Side tangent, just because this came up on the screen as I'm watching it in the background, but uh, the the target scene is up, and it's really weird to me to watch. A that I don't know outside of uh, opportunity, no career opportunities. Career, What's the career, word, Jennifer Connelly? Yeah, career opportunities. I, I outside of that, quickly. I don't know that I've ever seen target on screen before it was a little weird but what's weirder about it is target has become a brand that is so synonymous with promoting other brands yeah that to see target filled with like copyright free brands all over the place is just weird it, it is he's looking at the the buff uh protein powder and he busts into a uh during the the cart race with mm-hmm. patrick warburton he busts into a thing of like fruity loops yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, not knock off, uh, knock off discount, uh, unlicensed yeah. Uh, uh, bits. Yeah, I, I, and again, also that is basic. That scene, that inexplicable dream sequence where he does a cart race with Patrick Warburton, I think is basically there to remind us, yo, Patrick Warburton is the antagonist in this movie. <laughs> this is kind of yes. This is the only time that we see Patrick Warburton. From when he challenges him to a fight well, at his house to when he fights Patrick Warburton or shows up to fight Patrick Warburton at the end of the movie. Not to just keep rehashing this, but to to kind of restate this in a different way. Like, you go into, well, who was it? Joseph Campbell that had all the archetypes of stories. Man yeah, yeah, versus yeah. nature. Yeah. This is posing a man versus... Uh, I think that the original story the script probably was man versus himself. Yes. But the studio system cranked it out as man versus man. Yes. And it, it still resides too much in uh man versus self to make the, I, are, are I'm sorry. A little... Julie Bowen is walking around naked. Yeah. 
not naked, but you know, speaking of porn logic, that is a thing. I must have walked away when I initially watched this movie because I don't remember seeing that yesterday when I watched it, this. It, it, it I got gets, distracted. It, yeah, it gets a person's attention. You walk into a manhole cover. We're going to talk about that as soon as we finish talking about this because I have a thing to okay. say. Go ahead. Um, I'm done. The movie, yes. The, 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 I think that the original script, Man vs. Man, Tim's internal struggle to become a better person. The, then the studio system tries to make it Man vs. Man, Tim Allen versus Patrick Warburton. The thing is, they fuck that up too, because Patrick Warburton's not in it. We don't get any, yeah, like, I, I've said exactly. already, we don't get a sense of who he is. But, like, so so it, it's not Man versus it's not Man versus Self. It's not Man versus Man. It's basically, Man has... It's just Man. It, it's... It, Bravo, sir. I, 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 yeah, that's all there. Yeah, I raise a glass. It is just, look, uh, just Kurt, man. Oh, man. Oh, one of, man. one of Kurt Vonnegut's books, his nonfiction books, he was talking about different forms of, of drama and storytelling. And one of the ones that he mentions is like an ancient form of storytelling that isn't really in use anymore, where, you know, uh, a person does something good for the gods, the gods give the person good things, the person continues to do good things for the gods, the gods give him more good things, and it's just like this, I keep doing, I keep doing the things the gods want me to do, and the gods keep giving me good things, and that's just, that was sort of a thing for establishing societal norms in ancient times, and, and establishing the lore of gods that is not just really used in modern storytelling. This Uh movie is kind of a little bit that, like, Tim basically, a Tim is appeasing the violence gods and good things keep happening to him and there's not really more to it beyond that. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I, I would never have pegged that by the end of this episode we would uh, compare this movie to be uh, Vonnegetian? Von- how would you... How would you- well, I mean, his name. I, I mean, Vonnegesque, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's not because that's just a thing that he referenced in like an essay he wrote once. Also, you were you were comparing it to Joseph Campbell. And then also we've been talking about porn a lot. So we're really hitting all of the, the highlights. I, I mean, every studio exec has read two books, Joseph Campbell and Save the Cat. And and they've also looked at a lot of porn. So, uh, <laughs> well, yes, ladies and gentlemen, Joe, somebody. You know, I was watching this movie last night, and I got a really good idea that you might want to try in this scene today. Just a suggestion. I don't want to get too, too, you know, uh, up in your business here, but, you know, what if Julie Bowen was uh, wearing a negligee while she was talking on the phone to Tim Allen in this scene? Huh? A little something for the guys. Hey, 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 yeah, she's, you know, she's just walking around, you know, just like, you know, it's like, it's classy. She's got, like, kind of a see-through slipover and, like, her panties and her bra, and she's just walking around having a phone call with him. It's the middle of the day, you know? Um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, I the the scene where she calls him to set the terms of their second date, basically meet me at this gym. Yeah, she's just. Uh, well, I don't know. I think Landon and I basically set it up as well as we did. Completely gratuitous. Julie Bowen in her underwear, and boy, I hate to think about how that conversation between director, producer, and Julie Bowen and her representatives played out. Um, <laughs> it probably I, went something like this. You know. I, I seem you remember that scene in Happy Gilmore. We loved you in Happy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, we loved you so much, and you were so funny, so hilarious. There was that scene you did. I think you were on a golf course. Maybe there were some sprinklers. I think maybe mm. it was a dream sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were wondering. We were trying to get go for that vibe uh, in this movie um, for a scene. Would you? Would you be open to doing that again? 
and, and and she and she looks at her manager and her manager looks at her and then her manager looks at the producer and goes like, yeah, so I think that's going to be another 15K on the contract <laughs> for her to be able to get into character. For I that. hope so. I hope, I hope so it was too. more than that. I, I Yeah, uh, I, I, I hope so as well. I mean, I don't I don't know if I find this more distasteful than crazy on the outside where it implies that she is so horned up for Tim Allen that they have sex like nine times in a row. Um, <laughs> no comment on that. No, no comment. No comment. Um, okay. So look, we've, uh, there's that, there's him and Julie Bowen are flirting. I don't know. Do we want to talk about his daughter and his ex-wife? Um, yeah, I do. Because the ex-wife is a, an aberration in this movie. Like, oh, I, I, she's a woman who's treated poorly. I think she's very well, on yes. brand for this movie. But she's, you know, a kind of a blonde bombshell, little, you know, ditzy theater person, you know, to give her some character. I'm not these aren't my thoughts. I'm just relating what the movie's doing. But um, the way that Tim Allen's character is set up, like in no world would I have believed that he and her had ever been married. Exactly. It makes it not makes only no sense. Not only because she's, you know, a sexy, tall, blonde woman and he's kind of this nebbish nerd, but also you know, she's this kind of hippy dippy person, you know, again, the movie's uh, kind of description of her versus uh, the corporate culture that Tim is like, like she, she started a local theater. She started a local theater company. That is, that is her deal. Like, how would they have met? Like, what would they, what would their deal be? Well, okay. This is one thing that I almost forgot to talk about because uh, the movie makes almost no hay of it, but there it, it it's there. So why not? Apparently Tim never wanted the job that he's in. Yes. It's part of yeah. why he's a little ups, you know, not upset, but just kind of um, discontent at the beginning of this movie because he initially wanted to be a playwright. Yeah. Yeah. Do we ever see anything that he's written? No. Did I get totally confused at the end of this movie thinking that the stinger was them finally putting on one of his productions? I was totally confused by that. Yes, but we'll get there in a second. Um, So that's the only connective tissue to his ex-wife. It, like at the beginning of the movie, when he is driving to work with his daughter pre-slap, he's talking about you know how his daughter is such a gifted student and such a great writer, and she says something about how like yeah, I mean you wanted to be a writer, and he's just like no, but that's you, that's your thing. You're a much better writer than I ever was. Yeah, and that's that's really the last we hear of it. We hear more about his daughter's writing. I mean, honestly, thinking about it, I, I mean to some degree, Julie Bowen's character has more interiority than. Tim's character in that she had, you know, she always wanted to be a guidance counselor. She loves helping people. By the end of the movie, she has quit her stifling corporate sellout job to go be a guidance counselor. Whereas we know that Tim once wanted to be a writer, but he doesn't seem to have anything in his life, any interest, any hobby. And at the end of the movie, he's still working for the evil company that sucks. Yes. Uh, what's weird? Sorry, the the basketball scene is playing in the background right now. Yes. Just, what on on the point of interiority? What I I'm finding about this this movie in particular, I'd have to rewatch, and I'm not going to. Uh, Tim's other movies, but uh, 
where Julie Bowen is instilling a kind of interiority to her character in many ways, you know, whether it's, you know, dancing, uh, you know, in front of the girls and the kind of flourish she puts on that or these little yeah. like, you know, uh, you know, s- smiles or, you know, reactions to things that other actors are doing and she's being in the moment and, you know, pulling something out. Tim's style of acting is watching somebody and being in a one shot and reacting to it with them off screen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. His, his thing is watching other actors be appealing and just kind of, uh, Oh yeah. Observing that observing the thing that he is then not doing when the camera's on him. Yeah, it's weird. And they've got like the old school, uh, at least in this film, they've got like the old school uh, twinkle in the eye light that they mm-hmm. use, um, especially in the romantic scenes. So Tim Tim seems much more external than internal to me. Uh, yes. Yeah, I would. I mean, I, I think that pro- but I feel like that that really could apply to most of the characters he's played and indeed yeah. the one he played on a popular TV series. Um, <laughs> so his his ex-wife, you know, yeah, she is this uh, very beautiful blonde bombshell whose shirts never fully cover her stomach. Uh, and who it lives was 2002. It, it, it was 2002 and, and all the, 2001. Hot, all the hot moms were dressing that way. Porn logic. Uh, but she lives in this, you know, elevator loft in trendy downtown Minneapolis with her, uh, I guess, uh, boyfriend and, and their daughter, uh, her and Tim's daughter. And, so, you know, she, she doesn't have much character, but one thing is that like, so one thing is that that when Tim is first picking his daughter up, she and her new boyfriend uh, are are like kissing and making out, and Tim is sort of you know uh, cucked by this, I suppose. But then later, once Tim has been taking fighting lessons, he goes to I don't know he goes to pick up his daughter who is at the theater where his you know wife works or his ex wife works, and in the process of picking her up and talking to them, his ex wife is kissing her boyfriend and Tim goes like, Hey, would you not do that in front of me? And then he leaves, which is like psychotic behavior. And this is like, and this is, this is presented, (laughs) this is presented as kind of like, Oh wow. He's finally standing up for himself. He's not going to let his ex wife do what she wants with her body. No, he's going to exert control, even though they're not bound to each other anymore. Like, and, and and he does this and his ex-wife's response is like, Oh, and then she's like talking to her daughter, like, "Oh, your dad's. I heard your dad's gonna fight that guy. Is he taking fighting lessons? Your dad got a promotion at work. Oh, and she's kind of like, and and her art, his ex wife's arc in this movie is getting interested in him again and kind of low key wanting him back to the point that at one point in the movie, after like seeing him training in the dojo, she comes like downstairs in the loft in like an overcoat and is looking through her daughter's backpack for her daughter's key to Tim's house." But, you know, her daughter, the precocious 12-year-old written by adults, is, like, awake in bed and says, looking for these. And it turns out, oh, she's got a, you know, a like, lingerie on under her overcoat. And her plan is to go over to Tim's house and fuck him. Porn logic. And, but her daughter is, <laughs> is like, you know, you already, you already broke his heart once. And now you want to back up and do it again. And she's like, you know, or she's like, I'm just so lonely. And her daughter's like, but I'm right here. And she, like tosses the covers off the bed and her mom, you know, curls up in the bed with her. What? I, I, like, <laughs> yeah. 
You're right to be speechless. Like, you you are 12 years old, You're and you are trying to stop your father from getting into a violent altercation with another man who you've already watched hurt him once and send him into a slew of, of depression, and you are trying to t- stop your mother from mm-hmm. blowing up her whole life to go and jump into bed with him. Like, and the I've kind seen of, it a thousand times. It's the children of boomers having to parent boomers. I mean, this is you know, during the pandemic. It's the daughter being like, "Mom, Dad, don't don't go to that very crowded restaurant. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Cases are through the roof, and you both have emphysema." Um, and, and but it's just then the sub the only subplot with the daughter is just. Oh, she's it. You know, she's really bright, but she's not getting great grades in school. She doesn't want to write a play for the drama department, and like, what is it? Any wonder that your daughter isn't doing well in school when you're giving her all of this shit to have to worry about? <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh God, I don't. Yeah, you know, we didn't really talk about Kelly Lynch as an actress. You know this. This movie's thankless for every female role, as it has been so many. But yeah, for someone who's been a romantic interest in, you know, so many movies from Roadhouse to Virtuosity to yeah. Drugstore Cowboy, like she she has a long list of credits. And this could have just been like give someone their first chance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sort of role. Yeah. Uh, it, she's she's completely wasted. And I don't know. <laughs> but. But it's the, a paycheck. Yeah, it's a paycheck. And look, the good news for Kelly Lynch is that she now gets to join the squad of Tim Allen's wives slash ex-wives <laughs> who are going to get together to rob a casino or somehow right. get revenge on Tim. So you as know. long as Julie Bowen can still be in there. Uh, no, if, Julie, she's, if she's not, if she doesn't qualify for this, she qualifies for Crazy on the Outside, right? I, I, I think, yeah. Well, she just by virtue of being in two of his movies, she's like <laughs> okay, the she, she, she's the one organizing the gang. Awesome. I I want. I, we don't have the type of fans that do this, but I wish we had a uh, someone <laughs> listening that would mock up a Ocean's Eleven style poster with all of the actresses that have starred with Tim Allen. We don't have the kind of fans that do this. Yeah, fuck you, listeners. We don't no, have those. No, cool they have a life, and I I applaud them for that. They don't start a podcast for eight years talking about the nuance of Tim Allen's career, and I applaud them for that. Uh, th- this is true. We we have we have achieved what every parent and every podcaster wants, which is for their listeners to do better than they did in life. Oh man. Um, also, this is came up on the screen. I I just find it hilarious that. Director of Internal Communications is such a high position here that he gets his own executive assistant. Yes. Uh, And he's in this kind of like, picture the most corporate office cubicle you can, and that's what he's got. And he's wearing these blue shades at this point. Like, he's getting too cocky. You know, he's he's past the the Rubicon. Is is he getting too cocky, or was 2001 just... Just like a long time ago, was it twenty three years yeah, in the past? A, a bit, a bit of both. I mean, he was wearing a purple belt with a lime green shirt during the karaoke sequence that I didn't feel like I wanted to comment on at the time. Kirstie came in when the scene of him in the blue shaded glasses in indoors was on. She was like, "Wait, is he is he supposed to be cool or is he supposed to be dorky? What what message is the movie trying to send right now?" Um. So both. Both. I mean, I. Well, I don't know. I think that <laughs> Tim Tim is playing it as cool, but it's it's reading as dorky. 
Um, yes. So I, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying to think where. We, like I don't know. I want to. I want to just, just get to the third act. I think we're. I think we're there. There's we, not we much should... more. I mean, we can. We can talk about certain things like the. We didn't talk at all about the squash game, which. There's a lot there to pick apart, but I don't think it's going to be any different than us picking apart other stuff that we've picked apart. The, 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 I will say about the squash game, that is the only moment in the movie that I found clever or visually interesting, which is where he has never played squash before. He starts playing with these dude bros, and the second they serve, uh, Whip It by Devo starts playing, and then Tim is just standing completely still while in fast motion all of these dude bro executives are just zipping around him hitting the ball and he's just standing completely still which i i found really funny and amusing and it made me laugh out loud that is uh i so i did log that as well uh i didn't comment on it but um and then when i watched the commentary today uh pasquin had mentioned that in particular and it occurred to me that this is 2001 they would have done that very differently now but at the time, they did it by, you know, having Tim Allen, because he, he kind of, like, stands in one spot and kind of looks, to, you know, off to one side and off to the other side and, you know, has a, a bit of a reaction that they didn't have the green screen technology that they do now. Tim Allen had to, like, stand there still for, what, 10 minutes while these people played around him and he slowly had to move as if to look like he's moving in normal motion and they're moving in fast motion. Yeah. And the torture that Tim must have felt kind of fills me with a little bit of joy. Man, this show broke us making this podcast. (laughs) We used to be human men. We used to have basic. I don't know about men, but human to a degree. Yeah, yeah, we 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 used to we used to have humanity and now now look at us delighting in an, in another human's pain. Um the the other thing that I would I would say is uh, just in terms of our roundup before we get into the abbreviated third act here is that we get some business with Julie Bowen and her boss who is a, who Ugh. I guess is also the the uh antagonist where we find out, A, that he is interested in her and wants to get with her, but that she shuts that down, but also that his whole plan in bringing Tim in and, you know, giving him this promotion and the good parking space and everything is because of some, like, some legal theory where if Tim has come back to the company and works there long enough, then he can't sue them for the unsafe environment where Patrick Warburton hits him and then they can fire him. So like, oh, and, I missed and, the, I missed that firing point. I, I remember the, the other part, but Bale well, must have knocked something off the counter and distracted me. Yeah. And also it's boring and uninteresting and really doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> and, and like, so also this is the scene where, where this guy is telling Julie Bowen like, ah, Joe, he's a schmuck. He's a loser. He's a schmo. He's a nobody. Like all the things that the producer of the movie apparently genuinely believes about him. <laughs> yes. But so he, so, it, but, but I, it just doesn't really like, it's like this movie has been operating on porn logic for 70 or 80 minutes. And then all of a sudden this guy is like, ah, ah, actually there's a reason that we've been promoting him and doing these things. It's so he can't sue. And so, so suddenly there's like, oh, this concern about professional liability that doesn't extend to, we should stop them from having a fight that doesn't extend to, we should fire Patrick Warburton or have him arrested. It instead extends to the, the, the guy who got slapped we have to promote so we can eventually fire him. And, and 
Julie Bowen makes a stink about this. This is what leads her to quit the job and go try to be a guidance counselor. Um, and this is the most we ever hear about this plan by the evil boss to do this. As of the end of the movie, Tim, to the best of our knowledge, still works at the company. So presumably is <laughs> just like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas like, oh boy, everything's fine. Everything's great. Nobody's going to shoot me in the head. He's a made man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. That's true. Layla is going to kick in any second, and we're going to see him <laughs> shuffling out of the office with his box. Um, I'm glad you brought up the the boss again because he does come into play in the resolution of this to uh, a degree. Yeah. Uh. So and then so third act, won't you? The the you know Tim has found out Julie Bowen has quit. The boss tells him, "Oh yeah, she left. By the way, she and I used to have a relationship, or like we used to we hooked up on the company retreat to Cancun." Okay. Um. Also, the company has posted security guards in the parking lot, so you guys can't have the fight here. You should have the fight on this nearby playground instead. Oh, porn logic. Uh, and so then uh, Tim goes to see Julie Bowen at her apartment uh, where she explains that she got, you know, she got sick of selling out and working at this company. And she's kind of been cautioning Tim throughout the movie that like, hey, all the people around the office really like you because you're going to fight this this guy. But that's really not what you want to be known for. Like, it's actually not cool to be a guy who hits people and these people aren't really your friends. And he is sort of consistently disregarding her advice and she is kind of shrugging and continuing to reward him with her presence, which whatever. <laughs> um, but they're there on her roof. And I, I just, I, I love when we get to the whatever point of the podcast. It seems to happen every time. I, these movies land and they wear me down so much. <laughs> uh, and she, you know, so he, they're on the roof and she tells him again, like, hey, you shouldn't uh, fight this guy. And he's like, ah, but it, ever since I said I was going to fight him, good things have been happening. And she gets mad at him because this is the point in the movie where the girl who likes the guy gets mad at the guy, whatever. Uh, Tim goes off to have the fight. Uh, on the morning of the fight, he is driving to the fight. His daughter is riding after his car on her bike, screaming, Dad, no, wait, don't do it. Trauma, trauma on trauma, this poor girl. <laughs> Uh, he goes to the playground where the fight's going to happen. Patrick Warburton is there. This is the third or fourth time we've seen him in the movie. Uh, Tim walks up to him and they're squaring up to fight. And Patrick Warburton says, are we going to do this or aren't we? And Tim looks at him, big dramatic swelling of the awesome score by George Clinton of Funkadelic Parliament. And Tim says, no, we're not going to do it. And... Everybody, all all the all of these office workers who are clustered around, including Benny from Home Improvement, who is taking bets on the fight, much in the same way that he was taking bets on whether Al would go through with the wedding or not. <laughs> uh, they're all disappointed. He's, he's got a, he's got one thing he's good at. He's good. No, he's got two things. He's got taking bets and he's got eating donuts. Dude's dude's donut game is unchallenged. You you okay, cannot fair. lie about that. All right, I won't. Um. Uh, so Tim is walking away and Patrick Warburton says, hey, I'm sorry. And Tim goes, that's okay. And then the asshole boss guy runs up to Tim and is going like, well, if you don't, you've got to fight him. If you don't fight him, you've got to fight me. What? The, what? The, this porn logic. And <laughs> uh, so also also uh, Jim Belushi is here to watch the fight. A very exciting moment, much like when. When in the county line movies, Patricia Richardson finally makes an appearance outside of the county line diner. <laughs> oh, they booked a second day. Uh, he's he's in a new location. 
Uh, Jim, if you could just stop by on your way to the airport just for just for ten minutes, I just need one line. But but it's a pickup shot, really. But but you know, Tim Tim Allen taking so long to then improvise and wave his hands in Jim Belushi's face made him late enough getting to the airport that he wasn't able to use his Applebee's <laughs> gift certificate. <laughs> Tragedy. This is why, oh, this is why this is why Jim Belushi didn't come back for Crazy on the Outside nine years later. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, he, you're not, you're either fighting him or you're fighting me. And, and he's saying like, oh, you know, I can, I can take you. I've been working out, jazzercise, spinning, Pilates, advanced Pilates. As someone who uh, has done a lot of Pilates in the past and whose New Year's resolution was to start doing more of it and has been doing Pilates, I just really resent the implication that there's a manly way to work out and a not manly way to work out. <laughs> or that doing Pilates is going to not make you someone who could take a hit or throw a hit. I mean, I don't think the Pilates is making me that necessarily, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, well, it brings into question every all of the prep, physical preparation for the fight in this movie. Yes. Like, okay, he goes to Jim Belushi, and he's going to a dojo. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Warburton has shown no, like, prowess of physical violence except... I'm big and I slapped you. Yeah. Tim is kind of doing overkill here. And even what they're learning in the dojo is just like throwing very basic punches. There's not like cool matrix choreography going on. There's not like stretching. It's just how do you throw a punch? And I feel like you don't need Jim Belushi to teach you that. No, it's basically a stage combat workshop. He's not teaching... Yeah, it's not any sort of martial art. It's just kind of like, here's how to punch. (laughs) Although, it is is like the Matrix in that they do the bit where where he throws a punch at him and then stops his fist like one inch from Tim Allen's face. You know, which which Uh, happens at the dojo. I watched the Matrix a lot as a kid. Um, Also, the... (laughs) Now, I don't want to make any aspersions, but uh, Tim Allen, in many of these clips, as he's wearing these uh, arm pads, these white white arm pads, apparently he got so bruised on set that he had to start wearing those uh, yes. during the those scenes. Yes. Did you yes. read about that? I, I did I did read about that. I was hoping you were going to be wondering how it happened so I could have the joy of breaking that news oh, to well, you. Well, but... I'm sorry. Please give us the joy out of it. I, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to tell people the same thing they've already heard. We're already running long. But yes, Tim, Tim sacrificed... Much like Keanu Reeves badly injured himself shooting the dojo scene in The Matrix, Tim Allen, too, gave his entire body for the creation of this uh, semi <laughs> work of uh, martial arts filmmaking oh it really impressed the producer uh, that's great that's that's great i'm good that sounds like the sort of thing a producer would be impressed with although uh, he was like they do look kind of silly on screen though uh, <laughs> i'm also i'm also wondering what does this producer just based on the few things you've said to me about him seems like the sort of guy who's a brazilian jiu-jitsu enthusiast a guy who watches a lot of mma <laughs> He, yeah, he's definitely sponsored a fighter for sure. Uh, so anyway, the the, the asshole boss uh, is, you know, trying to get Tim to fight him. Tim refuses. He calls Julie Bowen a tramp because, again, he's implying that they slept together. Even though Tim, Tim, when he goes to see Julie Bowen, one of the first things he says is like, hey, did you sleep with your boss? And it's like, dude, Tim, what the fuck? Why did... 
that is an inappropriate question, and why is it your business? None, and why, none of your business. Why is she... <laughs> Office Space made this point very clear that that's an asshole thing to get upset about. Anyway, anyway. so... Um, so... He, uh, then he tries to grab Tim to fight him, and Tim punches his asshole boss in the throat. And then Jim Belushi gives him some props for that. When Tim walks back to his car, his daughter nods at him approvingly and rides away on her bike. And uh, Tim waves his arms in Jim Belushi's face in a hilarious moment of improv. And then, Which, can I just point out? Yeah, that two years before this movie, a major comedy hit in which someone does the exact same move in a bit of improv at the camera saying, can you handle that? <laughs> I thought for a second you meant Kung Fu Hustle, but no, you're talking about uh, meet the uh, meet the parents. Meet the parents. Ben Stiller does that uh, in frustration. So like not even clever <laughs> physical comedy improv. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's it's some callback to some bit he did about martial arts moves where you get up in someone's face and wave your hands around a lot. Uh so Tim goes to the school where Julie works and parks in her parking space and tells her that he's crazy about her and uh, a parking space isn't worth fighting for. You're worth fighting for. And wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's crazy for her. No. Hmm. And he the... acts externally. And and they're hmm. stand and they're not inside a building. <laughs> Would you say that Tim is crazy outside uh, I... of himself? <laughs> Yeah, I think he's man. A, a a a grand piano almost dropped on your head there, but you you saved it at the last second. <laughs> yes, Tim is crazy externally. Um, honestly, not not totally false. Um, and so Julie Bowen is like standing outside her car. They're talking, and she's like crying through this conversation, like it's the most emotional thing ever. Which is just like the stakes are so low here julie bowen you you got a little close to a guy who clearly is immature and has some issues and is not handling his divorce well and you move on it's not like there's not it's not like you're not right. incredibly How invested beautiful. is she in this guy yeah you, you're not crying invested for having watched a man do really unacceptable karaoke one time the, the the man who has shown up unannounced at your house and demanded to know if you slept with your boss yeah <laughs> like you right she is she is very much turning the page on her life starting a new chapter or you know pursuing her like this is all okay you can make a clean break with all of that old shit you never have to see this guy again who okay so okay uh, she, you know, tearfully, you put up one hell of a fight, Joe. Big time kissing. Uh, and then he says, I think I'm... <laughs> that, that, that's a line out of, like, 1940s weepies. I, I, you it, put up a hell of a fight, Joe. It, it's like a movie about, like, a prize fighter who's gonna, like... Yes. The, the, the mob wants him to throw the fight, but the girl doesn't want him to or something. I'm, he walks. Yeah. I'm not convinced that's not in Somebody Up There Likes Me with Paul Newman. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced that it's it would not have been in the boxing movie that Barton Fink was trying to write in the movie Barton Fink. <laughs> Wait, is this the movie that Barton Fink was trying to write? Oh my god! You know what? I don't think it was worth all the trouble that Barton Fink went through uh, <laughs> trying to write this movie. I don't. I, I think that the if the writer's block was that strong, maybe you should have just uh, uh, done something else. <laughs> um. So. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we go from that to then we crossfade to uh, a, 
the last scene in the movie, an inexplicable scene in the movie, uh, a, a school it, it, play. God, God love John Pasquin. I have no complaints about the man at all. He's an angel. But in the commentary, he's like, and so that's where the movie ends for most people. But we thought this this movie really at its heart was about family. And so we decided to include this one last scene. <laughs> Uh, i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't help but flag that wow wow man you you do you do learn a beautiful yes this movie is about family and it's basically about how one poor girl has to basically parent both of her parents this movie is family in that it lives in the olive garden universe of logic (laughs) Wait, we're we're out of porn logic and into Olive Garden logic. <laughs> yes, and then, where everyone's just laughing for no reason. They're just it's it's a weird like Tim and Eric reality. But by, by virtue of being here in the movie, they are family, is what you're saying. Yes, no, nothing else makes them family other than that they exist in the same space at this time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, so so anyway, the. The the play so you know her daughter also his his daughter you know her whole thing oh the drama club wanted you to write a play for them and you said no you're hiding your light under a bushel you shouldn't do that but I mean let me just tell you like f- fuck that if like there's a lot of reasons to not want to write a play like I have had all kinds of people in my life come to me and be like hey I have this idea you should write a script for it and I've said no and that's not because I'm hiding my light under a bushel it's because I want to do my writing on my terms <laughs> anyway moving on she has how's though, that going for you <laughs> yeah well it's great I, I you know Are what you the writer of Joe somebody I no, I'm not the writer of Joe somebody but if you have deleted a marketing email from a certain software company lately well that was written by Joe this guy um <laughs> So anyway, his his daughter has, I guess, written the play, and rather than writing a play about what it's like to watch your father go on a violent quest of retribution and your mother turn into a nympho, it is, I guess, a play where a kid is trying to get good at basketball and special guest star Jim Belushi plays the coach trying to teach him about it. I, I, I wish... I wish it was actually Jim Belushi playing it and outside of the character he's playing in this movie. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So this end scene confused me so much because there, outside of one scene, which I had completely forgotten about with between Hayden and her principal, um, there's no hay made of her writing and her, her pursuit to write in this movie. So when, the play starts, I think, oh, Tim has finally taken the step of, you know, quitting his job and pursuing his passion and becoming a, a, a playwright. Weird that he's writing about a child playing basketball, but, you know, whatever. It's the end of the movie. We're almost done. Yeah, it's basketball and diaries, you know, whatever. The The play ends, and Jim Belushi and the other actor are taking their bows, and everyone starts clapping, and Tim goes, go ahead, get up there, as he you know nods to Hayden, and she runs up on stage, and I'm like, why the fuck is his daughter going up to take a bow <laughs> with the actor? Just, <laughs> I was so, so confused, and they don't even spell it out that it was her that wrote it. You what? just, through context clues, have to... 
Well, by like she's or did I miss something? She's sitting there and she's mouthing all the words that they're saying, which because I I thought she loved Tim's writing so much. Yeah, I yeah, that's they do. That's literally a a line, a moment they have together. It's like I loved what you wrote that one time. Okay, that's I mean that's true. That's true. I I had forgotten they have made so little of the fact that Tim wanted to be a writer. Like they make less of Tim's writing career than they do of his daughter's writing career. So that I had completely forgotten that. Uh, so I, I bought this for what it was, oh, but you make a very good point though. That would have making, that would have making sense. Oh God. Yeah. That, that's Ooh, the re- me. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, this is the real reason that I didn't write Joe somebody. Um, but I don't know. This has echoes of the end of the shaggy dog where it's like, ah, the shaggy dog is with them on vacation. I guess this is where Tim admits that they're going to adopt the dog and he no longer hates dogs. Right. Oh no, we're not doing that. Like, it would also make sense here to close <laughs> Tim's loop as a character to be like, yeah, I'm a playwright now, but nope, nope, n- n- none of that, I guess. <laughs> it's, so it, it's also it's also kind of almost insulting to me that like they there's been like one or two scenes where it's like his daughter likes basketball, like she wants yeah. to go to a basketball game with him, and then later she's watching the Minnesota Timberwolves play on TV, and that's where she sees Tim with the courtside seats and Jesse Ventura. So I, I love that the movie's like, we, we've given this girl so little. How do we incorporate that into what she writes a play about? She writes a play about basketball? Yeah, sure, we can do that, right? Yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> nothing uh, says we can't do that. There's nothing in the rule book that says a girl can't write a play about basketball. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the play's a big hit. It's like the, you know, it's like the, the, you know, the end of Rushmore. Everyone loves the new play. And, uh, and Tim, Tim, then Julie, but Tim is Tim's ex-wife who had at last time we saw her been very interested in jumping his bones is there, you know, sitting on the opposite side of his daughter, his daughter runs up. And then as Tim is standing up and applauding, Julie Bowen, we see is standing there next to him. And then Tim and Julie Bowen passionately kiss. And it's like, wait, hang on, Tim, hold on. You yelled at your ex-wife for kissing her boyfriend in front of you, and now you're kissing your new girlfriend in front of your ex, and that's fine? That's okay? That's okay? Uh, We're just saying that's okay? I don't, 2001, I didn't, everyone. I didn't like this movie. I There was a lot of movies that I didn't like more. <laughs> like, this movie didn't make me angry, but I just... I, I felt like my time was wasted. Th- this movie wasted my time harder than A Dog for Christmas, the movie that outright lies to you <laughs> about what's going to happen in the movie okay now i i don't disagree with everything you say but i i think unlike even despite the main conceit of this film i think this film unlike 99 percent of the other tim allen movies we've watched has a genuine heart at its center whether or not it's, it's about family, it's, <laughs> whether or not it's you know successful at getting that across is you know uh, something we've debated for two hours and fifteen minutes to this point. But I I think its intentions are really admirable, uh, That's and there's not stretch. the the kind of edginess to it that the other Tim Allen movies does. Even when Tim is at his like, I want to beat him up, you know at his worst of that there, there's not a like contempt that's going on in this film. And oh. I, I appreciate that. God damn it. You're right, sir. Fair. That's a fair point. This movie is not mean in the way that 
uh, crazy on the outside is it's not mean like California dreaming. <laughs> it, yeah, literally anything that we've watched him in. I mean, yeah, you know, honestly, there's there's a lot more outright hostility in Big Trouble as well. Yeah, okay, no, all right, look. Uh, you're right, Landon. I'll give it to you. Not a good movie, but it's not an outright hostile movie, even though it is <laughs> on its face a movie about workplace violence. Yes, interesting. Uh, which, which in and of itself is an accomplishment. It, it, they did. They threaded that particular needle very well. No one was asking for it, but <laughs> damn if they didn't do it. Um, there's a better movie in here. You know, there's a lot going on here that you know. Is what it is. So, all right, this is going to segue very nicely into what I was going to say at the beginning of the episode and feels like it's a better place now. Okay. Um, IMDb Trivia has graced us with two alternate histories that uh, of people that could have played uh, Joe Schaefer. Okay. How would you have felt Joe Schaefer played by Jim Carrey? Probably a better movie. Probably, a, mm-hmm. a probably better because he, yeah. All of this would have worked a lot better with Jim Carrey. Yeah, I completely agree with this, that. This I, movie, this movie would have made uh, close to a hundred million dollars instead of the twenty-two <laughs> million against a uh, what for uh, a, a twenty-four million against a thirty-eight million dollar budget that it actually made, and thirty-one of that went to Tim Allen. Yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to envision because. Um, Jim Carrey seems like such a pacifist. Even even at the height of his you know mania, he never seemed like a hostile actor. So yeah, get, seeing him get in a fight, just be in the scenario, is hard to kind of envision. Yeah, the the closest I can do is like the mask, but mm-hmm. the only way he's able to get to that aggressive place is by playing a cartoon character. So uh, d- does he not rip a man's heart out and put it in a doggy bag in a little movie called Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> that, that is also very cartoony mm, mm, interesting interesting All a right. man died landon but you feel nothing okay go on who who's the <laughs> other actor? other one this other one is like very eyebrow raising okay. uh, to think of the possibilities here and think of this actor in 2001 so this is before the things that really made him famous brian cranston holy shit on a stick that would that would rule also because Brian Cranston is hysterically funny, and I don't know if you've heard he also has some dramatic chops. This this would <laughs> either of those would be a much better choice. God damn it, that's the good Tim movie. Allen. Oh my god, the you know I, I t- tentatively betting on the fact that the original script was was better, and then uh, uh, Brian Cranston in this, and that director, uh, I don't know, being at a UFC prize fight throughout the production of the movie and not being able to meddle in it. Much better film. Much, much better film. <laughs> um, that's Joe Somebody. Is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to? Um, you know, I didn't have an organic way to work this in, but there is a, he has a cute coworker, the one who kisses him early on or when he first realizes he's popular because of challenging uh, people to a fight. Uh, she is attractive, has dark hair. I wrote down above ground swimming pool, Alexandria Daddario. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Chuckle at that folks at home. Maybe, maybe a chuckle. We all love Truman's above ground swimming pool gag. That never gets old. Uh, yeah, we, we've covered everything. <laughs> um 
Yeah, only thing, only note I have that we didn't touch on because uh, we sped through the third act so quickly, and there's so little Patrick Warburton in this. Um, is at the very last second, as everyone's the, there's this moment before the final fight where everyone you, you, there's just kind of like the calm before the storm. Every you know, Patrick Warburton wakes up that morning, uh, the day of the fight, yeah, and you see his hands a little shaky, yeah, uh, and I'm like, oh, so. There's a story going on there that we could have been watching instead of Tim flailing around for, you know, half an hour. So <laughs> why why didn't we get to see that? There's a, there's a there's a little LaCroix taste of Paul uh, Patrick Warburton's interiority basically and that that's all you get. <laughs> yeah. Uh other than that, uh, I don't have anything else. Bela just woke up from, you know, us boring her through a 2-hour nap again. So uh, I think it's time that we wrap this up. Anything else? Uh, no, let's uh, let's get out of here because I want to go eat dinner, much like Bela did an hour ago. <laughs> uh, two hours ago, we what? Two and a half hours ago when we started this episode, we, we used to um, record short episodes. What happened to those guys? We have one more movie. Uh, I guess we can spill spill the beans. It's coming. It's finally happening after eight years. We're doing Galaxy Quest. Yeah. That's right. Activate the Omega-13, baby. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> recording this with you, a mega nerd for Galaxy Quest, is going to be like for me. But tune in next week to find out. Yeah. Um, are, are you not a mega nerd for Galaxy Quest? I, I like my, I like Galaxy Quest quite a lot. I'm not a mega nerd in terms of memorizing details. And, you know, I'm not one of the red shirts for Galaxy Quest the way that there are red shirts in... I'm using red shirts wrong. I realize that uh, fanboys for for the Galaxy Quest show. OK, OK. Well, I mean, that's fine. I'm you know, I guess I'm just I'm just along in Galaxy Quest and you are one of the uh, mean jerks who's making fun of Jason Nesmith at the beginning uh, for being can I be one of the up. aliens. But can you you can be one of the aliens. You can be Rain Wilson if you want. OK, uh, I don't know. I uh, well, well, we'll get to it next week. We'll, I think, we'll talk about I think the week. main alien puts in a hell of a performance. Uh, we'll, we'll get to there. Um, so we'll, we'll do that next week. And then we have one more bonus episode before we get to the grunt work. Super spectacular where we put grunt work to bed and welcome in our new show. So yes. uh, lots of things coming this month, next month and uh, for the rest of 2024. We hope you'll tune in. Um, I guess that goes to our outro, which is if you if you like the show, if you like anything we've done on grunt work and you get excited thinking about the possibilities of what we can do in the future, you can help us. Yes. By keeping grunt work alive. Grunt, we're calling it grunt work legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to continue to live after we move on to our next show. Uh, and it's still going to cost money as is our next show. So your Patreon dollars by becoming a patron, patron over, I just do it. Yeah. Wow. I get it. <laughs> First time back after the holidays. Smooth. Can't tell. Yeah. No, it's uh, good. It's good. We didn't miss a beat. You can, you can help keep all of that running, going. You could support all of that by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash gruntworkpod, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to our entire backlog of Gruntwork Nights episodes, but 
those are going to be coming to an end as soon as grunt work ends. Yep. So your money will just be going toward supporting us uh, putting out content into the world, not exclusive content just for Patreon uh, subscribers, but you'll always have access to the backlog of grunt work nights. You, you get how paywalls work. Okay. Yeah, yeah. M- money for nothing and the episodes for free. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can also help people find this show and the next show by rating us Uh, And if you're so inclined, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, because those algorithms, they they work in favor of those who get activity. And uh, if you don't rate us or review us, we have no activity. We have no way of getting in front of new people. So it goes a long way. Please Mm -hmm. do that. Help us. Please. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach out to us at Instagram at GruntWorkPod or you can send us an email. Uh, at grunt, uh, gruntworkpodcast at gmail.com or join our Discord. Um, it's not as active as it used to be, but I love the little community we got there and yeah. uh, we, we dip in and out uh, with enough frequency to say it's still alive. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, yeah, no, we have we do have a good time over there. We've had some good chats. I've even been yeah. using it a little bit. You have. I've been surprised. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, really, we're really selling it. We're really, really making making the most of our community. <laughs> I, I do. I love everyone's contributions over there. As do I. It's great to see what they respond to, uh, both in grunt work and in uh, home improvement and in the movies that we watch. But Yeah. Uh, but they're, no, but lastly, they're not the kind of fans who make us a poster of the Ocean's Eleven version of all of Tim's ex-wives. But I fine. mean, uh, you know, they aren't, but good for them for not being that. They're, um, they're, they're doing other things. They are, and I respect that. Me too. You can also find more information on today's episode on our website, as well as all of our other bonus episodes and episodes of Home Improvement on our website, (laughs) which is www.grotworkpodcast.com. Where for as little as $1 a month. No, wrong part. Um, I guess that's it. Until next time, when we bring you Galaxy Quest, I've been Landon Solano. I've been Truman Caps, and remember, you're Joe Nobody until Joe Somebody loves you. Yeah.